Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hello. Zuriel Vasquez. Hi. And Sarah Podzorski. Hello. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Uh, you are on yeah, the hi. deepest dive for Animal Crossing New Horizons. People might recognize your voice from... A4 Play? Yeah. How long were you on that podcast over there in Japan? Um, I was on it, I think, for about two years. I was on it first as an intern, and then I returned again as a full-time employee. This is very exciting. So I first mm-hmm. met you at the University of Minnesota. You were going yes. out to Japan. Then you worked at 8.4 doing localization for stuff Thanks like... Thanks to you. Thanks to you and Tim, by the I way. I think Tim... He's probably, you know, takes 80% of the credit. Because I was like, I'll be nice. But Tim was like, no, we're going to connect you to A4. This is going to be a mission from Tim Turry. Uh, but you end up doing localization work. into a wrestler to make this happen. Have you met Tim? When he's motivated, he's 100% wrestler. I'm going to get you a job. Yeah, basically. Hey, I like it. But you ended up working on stuff like, what, Monster Hunter World and Xenoblade Chronicles yep. X. Fire Emblem, Undertale. I got a lot of titles. That's wild. So what did you do? I called them like a dragon. What did you do on Undertale? So Undertale originally, obviously originally it was a PC game. Um, it was on the PC, it was like PC only, and I sort of like flagged it down to 8.4. I was like, you know, like we need to like localize this, you need to do something with this, and then they ended up publishing it on PlayStation. So they localized it into Japanese and then published it on PlayStation with uh, Fangamer. Hang on, so are you taking credit for... I am going to take credit. You're I'm really gonna, the first person I'm there? I'm going to take credit. <laughs> you're, the, you're the reason the costume is in Smash Brothers. Yes. I'm Honestly, when that came out, I was like, wow, imagine the butterfly effect one individual can have. <laughs> that is a weird thing to think about. But sincerely, you were the person to be like, hey, 8-4, check out Undertale. Yeah, well, I was like hyping the shit out of Undertale when it first came out. I was like, this is amazing. Like, it's great. Everyone needs to play it. Wow, yeah. not bad. And then you came back to the States to live in L.A. and work on Ninjala? Uh, I worked at Gung Ho for about nine months. Um, the tail end of that being uh, Ninjala, but not in production. I was doing community management social media. So the game was still in production at that time. And Ninjala is out this week. To- I think it's out today. Yeah. I don't know when, but it I today. I downloaded like, it. it haunts me. The it's, shadow. It's crazy because I remember I, you I right. tried to play around. And how'd oh. it go, Kyle? It, it, not great. I couldn't get yeah. into a match. <laughs> it said down for that. maintenance. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> rough. But go. It's still very. I, I want to try it. I'm interested in it. And so I remember you were at E3. Was it 2018 showing off yeah, the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were was, at E3 2018, like my first ever E3. Um, first time going. First time working at E3. So I was like really excited. They paid. One thing is that Gung Ho is like throwing money at this game, like no joke. Like they're putting a lot into it. And our booth, we had like a front booth right by the front doors, which is apparently prime spot. Uh-huh. It was very, really very expensive. And um, we went all out on it. And then it's like the doors open at 8 a.m. first day of E3, and you just watch the mob come in. It's like a zombie movie where the mob, like, floods through the doors. But instead of even, like, stopping, everyone just sprints to Nintendo. And they're <laughs> like, oh, okay. Come back soon, I guess. <laughs> well, they might have paused and been like, oh, Splatoon booth right by the door. Uh, oh, no, it's Ninjala. Okay, yeah. okay, we'll keep moving. But, yeah, Kyle, let us know how that game is once you get to play it there. 
I, I want to try it. I, I'll give it another shot. This try. Okay, great. Uh, we have a lot to cover on this week's episode. We have some Pokemon news, as always. Uh, catching up on what we've been playing a little bit. Crash Bandicoot 4 has been revealed, for the love of God. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we have a community top 10 list, uh, which we'll dive into the specifics on how that works. Maybe we'll talk about the Smash DLC uh, updates on Microsoft's Mixer, Marvel's Avengers, and then some fun community questions in the back half of the show. But uh, we should also mention that this week we launched the deepest dive for The Last of Us Part 2. So if you're just listening to this podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch that gigantic discussion where it's Serial, Jeffum, myself, and Charles McGregor, the developer of HyperDot, who has The Last of Us Part one is his favorite game of all time. Uh, what we we break the game up into chunks and we go as in depth as possible. So this is covering everything up until you hit Seattle day two, um, and we take a bunch of comments and thoughts from the community. And ends up being what was it close to three and a half hours? Surreal? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Pretty close. Uh, fun time. There's a, there's a lot to talk about with that game, and so you can check that out. And obviously, if you support us on Patreon at the five dollar tier, then you get access to the podcast version of that. So there's a lot more MinMax content than just this podcast this week. Also, if you're listening to this, you might be saying, why aren't they talking about Cyberpunk? It's the biggest game in the universe. Yes, it is. Uh, but the time we're recording this, we have not seen anything. We did not get a chance to play it, which is kind of a bummer. And so we'll be doing a live stream reaction on MinMax's YouTube channel for the new gameplay and all that stuff that's going to be going up, I think, on Thursday at 5 p.m. Central, so you can look forward to that. All right. Pokemon news. Kyle, did you watch this thing live? Um, I mean, not live, but like, you know, at 8.30, I watched it, which is like, you know, it had air. It's close enough, pretty close much. Close enough. Okay, so last week it was the big tease uh, with Ishihara saying, ah, next week we're coming back with something we've been working very hard on. And the fools we were, we took the bait, and on this podcast we're like, oh, it's Let's Go Johto. Here we go. They're going to announce it coming out this week, maybe to be a whole Nintendo Direct. And I don't then, know about us. I feel like that was you who mentioned No, I remember Sterling, you're like, right. I'm betting my life. Let's Go Johto, no doubt about it. Uh, and then what do they announce, Serial? Uh, Pokemon Unite. Which is up your alley. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about this. Uh, it's a Pokemon MOBA, basically. Mm, um, but I it's very... you can drop basically. It's a Pokemon MOBA. Well, it's different right in that, that like, the goal of the game uh, isn't to destroy your opponent's like ancient or like their base or whatever. It's to score points in the middle of the battlefield. And I think the way you do it is you go around, you killing, you're killing creeps, which are basically other Pokemon. You <laughs> use those to creeps. level up. And I think at the point you them, right? catch yeah, them, you, you don't well, kill them. <laughs> you defeat them and then you catch capture them. them. Sure, all right. And, and, and you you capture them uh, to use the Pokemon Parlance, and then you throw them into the center of the arena, and that's kind of how you score points. And then whoever gets to a, a uh, I think it's either the, the time runs out or someone gets X number of points, and they do it. But like the whole kind of perspective and the way combat works is mostly like a MOBA, right? And it's all being uh, funded by Tencent and developed by. Teamy, T-I-M-I? Yeah, it's like a subsidiary of Tencent, Teamy, okay. and then in association with Pokemon. Gotcha. Yeah, at first, it like didn't make sense to me. I was like a Pokemon MOBA, and then I saw like Tencent, and I was like, oh, it's coming together. Okay. They just can't get enough of these MOBAs. They need a little mm-hmm. bit more. By the way, if you want to have a heart attack, just go to Tencent's Wikipedia page and look at their ownership in all these different video game companies. It is absurd just oh you know majority mm-hmm. stake here majority stake here minority stake in epic and then you know maybe five percent here six percent here like they own seven percent of frontier you know like the huh. theme park team in yeah. england it's just they're everywhere it's yeah. just and if you want to release any games in china like at all you go through tencent you have to go yeah it's like they're like 
the mob boss of Chinese video game companies. And nothing can I mean, ever I've, go wrong. I heard some people kind of theorizing that like this game is almost more of an attempt to try to get Pokemon to be more popular in China. Yeah, I could see that. Like, it's, like for us, it's like, oh, Pokemon is our way into the genre, but in China, it's more like the genre is the way into Pokemon. It's I really Who knows if that's true, but yeah, I mean, it, I, it makes sense, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I guess I don't have a sense of how popular Pokemon is in China. I guess not as not profitable as it could be. Anyway, so yeah, they don't call it a MOBA. They call it a co-op team battler, but it's 5v5, like Sarah was saying. It's, it's MOBAs all yeah. hell. Uh, Sarah, did you have a good reaction to that thing? Uh, well, first I woke up, I looked at my phone, and I thought it said Pokemon MMO. And I was like, oh my god, it's happening. And then like I like rubbed the sleep out of my eyes, and I was like, wait, what the hell, a MOBA? Um, and I kind of knew there was going to be a lot of hate, but I'm more surprised about people who were like, I've always wanted this. And I'm like, who, why did, you're looking at the Pokemon franchise, and you're like, but what if we play League of Legends with them? That, that is not, like, my thought process. I, I feel like there's a lot of, like, in this... There's a lot of uh, properties that I think would work, like, uh, in the way that MOBA and fighting is kind of like, let's just have these little, like, IP mashups where you can just put a bunch of characters that people like together in the same game. I think Pokemon is up. I feel like I might have said Pokemon MOBA at some point on another podcast. You whispered point. it. Yeah, I think it was talked yeah. about on the Game Informer show a fair amount, yeah. And that's yeah. the wild thing... I. I'm probably more interested in the MOBA genre than you are, Kyle, but I don't know if you had that same reaction of, all right, yeah, they've got me. I'll play this. This is probably going to be, you know, my most played MOBA right above, uh, you know. Here's of the Storm. Yep, Here's <laughs> of the Storm, which I probably put three hours into. I mean, my, yeah, my reaction was similar in the sense I was like, okay, I'm not really a MOBA guy. I'm not super interested in this. But the more they talked about it, the more I was like, you know, this actually makes sense. It does not, I, I think I, I said this before, so I'm like kind of repeating myself, but like it doesn't feel like they're putting a round peg in a square hole. Like the way the Pokemon mechanics work and evolving and choosing abilities and stuff like that, it makes sense. Like it doesn't feel like a huge leap after they explained it, even though, you know, before they even showed it, it never would have occurred to me. You know what I mean? Well, after seeing that intense match that they had where Ishihara mm. almost lost. It was <laughs> Which I, I think that match confused me more than it actually helped. There were so <laughs> many different perspectives and it was cut like so many different times that I, I still don't know how long matches actually are. And for what it's worth, they've said that, hey, it's still early. Like it was funny because they mentioned that terminology is not final. Uh, which is, I don't know what they mean by that, but they do mention that it's uh, free to start, which is their term for free to play. Um, right, it's going to be on mobile the, and Switch. And then in the email, kind of press release, they say it's coming soon. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? So they don't have saying. a date, but they, they do mention that they're going to have cross-play between the two platforms. They, it's not on PC, which is a little surprising, but yeah. not super surprising since it's from Nintendo. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do want to play it. I'm interested to see how much... Because I can't imagine it'll be any more complex than what we've seen. I can't imagine there are item yeah. builds or anything like that. I met, like I think the most complex thing you'll be doing is choosing which abilities to level up in what order. Um, yeah, type type doesn't even matter. Yeah, right? so, because that would that would oh, probably be because there's a lot of counter picks in MOBAs as is, and so just having this thing where it's like, oh, if you pick Pikachu, they're gonna do a ton of damage against Charizard, as, and with how few characters it looks like they'll have at least whenever they release, who knows how many they'll have, but. Like the character select screen screenshot they had only had like ten characters from what I saw, um, but even then it's like they they it looks it doesn't look like fantastic or anything in terms of like graphical fidelity, but it looks yeah. like something. Hey, if you want to play it on the Switch, it looks like it'll run pretty well, uh, and and obviously because of the console controls, I can't imagine they're gonna have a ton of like item building or like any 
type of like base interactions or anything like that. But I was so this struck. could be like an entry level MOBA in 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 a way that even Heroes of the Storm might not be able to be. Yeah, you had a hot tweet serial because you're the number one Dota two fan on planet Earth, and you had a hot tweet talking about how a lot of the great Pokemon ideas have already been kind of absorbed into MOBAs. That MOBAs already have like an evolution what was that about? like like so dota 2 basically has every almost every video game mechanic you can think of in individual characters so like the idea of there's the character tiny in dota who every time like his ultimate ability he doesn't have like a huge thing that he does but every time you level his ultimate he just gets he turns into a bigger more evolved version of himself and so he just gains a bunch of stats so that all that's already in there and like the base capturing stuff was like a uh, like already a mini game in Dota a few years ago. I think it, I mentioned it was Cleveland, but I think it's actually Dire Tide, which was their Halloween thing. And you were grabbing candy and bringing it to your base. So all this stuff is already like it doesn't feel like it's breaking new ground in the mobile genre. Besides the fact that it's on Switch, it's Pokemon, it's a thing that people want. So this feels like in a lot of ways it feels pretty safe overall as a product. Yeah, um, Kyle. Two years from now. Give your success level on a scale of 1 to 10 for Pokemon Unite. And everybody watching and listening, get ready to clip this part out and send it to Kyle uh, in 2022. And the uh, Library of Congress. Yep. (laughs) So my success prediction for Pokemon Unite in the year 2022 is a 7 out of 10. I'm going with a 6. Sarah, where are you at? Uh, I don't know about success, but... My view is I go up to a kid and I'm like, oh, you playing Pokemon? Did you catch that Pikachu? And they look at me and they go, shut up, millennial. I mean Pikachu. <laughs> like, I, this is, that's like my, I can't like put a number on it, but that's what I'm expecting. You're expecting to be insulted uh, by a Pokemon. Yeah, I, I, I'm expecting. If children are telling you I main Pokemon, that's like a eight or nine to me. <laughs> that's pretty high. <laughs> God, I had this weird experience where, I got a call from my older sister, which, by the way, anytime I get a call from a family member, I just assume something horrific has happened. But I get a call yeah, from my yeah, oldest sister, yeah. and she's like, hey, um, do you want to talk to this kid about Pokemon? Like, Who is this kid? She's like, here you go. His name's Zeke or whatever. And it was like some kid that I've never met that's my sister's friend's son who's like six or something. And he said he wanted to talk about Pokemon with somebody. So my sister just called me up, which was very bizarre. And so I just had to have this random conversation with a six-year-old about Pokemon. And I was like, so, hey, how's it going? Uh, What's your favorite Pokemon? And it's just like a roll of the dice. Like, man, I know Pokemon pretty well, but I could probably name 220 if I'm lucky. Uh, Thank God he said Umbreon. So I'm like, okay, cool. I can talk about Umbreon for a bit. (laughs) We can really hang now, but... It's very specific. I know, I know. He's a smart kid. Umbreon for a six-year-old? Yeah, he's he's dark and twisted, no doubt about it. <laughs> Shout out to Zeke. Um, Kyle, did you play Cafe Mix at all? Pokemon Cafe Mix? Um, I did, a little last night, yeah. Okay, yeah, so this is out now on Switch and iOS. Late Tuesday night is when it came out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I played it a little bit as well. The art, I think, is awesome. Uh, the presentation where you're managing like a Pokemon cafe, Charmander's coming in to get a cappuccino a couple times. It's a good, good time overall. Uh, and then the gameplay is like mushy puzzles and dragons. Like, what is that? Well, it's close. It's like closer to Zoom Zoom. Okay. It is yeah. different, but it's like, it's physics based 2D objects, you know? Um, I, I mean, my, I played, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes last night. Like, I, I haven't found the sort of strategy in the, puzzle solving yet i mean i think it's there but mostly i'm successful by just kind of going like this which is like swirling my hand around 
And Not like, a good I don't know, sign. I, I would like it to get harder. I did. I, I, I hit the pinch point at about an hour in with that game. Okay. You started um, losing lives, actually, I guess. Yeah, like I started like running out of turns. Gotcha. Um, about like an hour in. Um, I still don't have a strategy either, besides just swirling your finger around until you get like an ability, and then just using that. But yeah, I definitely, I was like, when am I going to hit that? Oh, okay, found it. Okay, it's hard so, now. Yep. Now we so understand. Now we can move okay. on. Uh, I mean, I, but I'm I'm willing to go keep going with it because it, I love the look of it, and there might be some sort of depth there. I just I haven't seen it yet. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, I asked you over Slack what you've been playing recently, and you surprised me by saying Dark Souls Three in a yeah. world where like The Last of Us Part Two just came out. You're going back yeah. to Dark Souls Three. Um, I've never played uh, like a, a Souls game ever. Oh wow! So I was like, yeah, I've never played a Souls game. So I was like, well, okay. Uh, I tried to start with Bloodborne. Got absolutely bodied. Could not get through the first area. Absolute, absolutely bodied. People were like, okay, try Dark Souls three. Put the training wheels back on. Um, now I'm kind of getting it. Where are you at? Uh, I don't. I don't even. Not, not even at the first boss. But it's, I made it through the first section, which is better than what happened in Bloodborne. All right, that's nice. Uh, have you have you made it to the central hub area? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you passed the test. I got a. I got an axe. I do the bonks. I roll a lot. Ooh, my my Dark Souls. If I had like a mood board for yeah. how I want to build my character, I'm like, okay, Sonic the Hedgehog with an axe. I want to be fast. And I want to hold my axe. And that's mm. where I'm. What I'm building. It's, that's a good point. Like Son, Sonic doesn't wield weapons a lot, and I think he could stand to. He already has the speed. Like mm-hmm. an axe would just make him exponentially more powerful. Someone needs to play he Sonic and hold the axe out. He wouldn't even have yeah. to. Yeah. Oh my god, that's brilliant! But you need to play more Sonic and the Black Knight uh, on Wii because yeah. he he wields a mean sword in that game, surreal. Uh, okay. Do you guys have any uh, hot from software tips for Sarah? Uh, roll forward is. <laughs> My yeah. philosophy is that bosses don't really account for that. Uh, maybe in Dark Souls 3 they might start to, but especially like for the earlier ones, you can roll forward most of the time and like their attacks are often not behind them. So that's the secret that I learned. Yeah, I was I told touch, touch their butts. So that's what <laughs> yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. Get <laughs> behind the them as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and for I wouldn't me, put it that way, but yeah. I had no shame in just circling an area and leveling up a little bit. I certainly spend a lot of time doing that when I start from games. Just like, you know, try to just farm a little bit in that early area. That helps me out a lot all the time. Uh, Sarah, you've been streaming hundreds and hundreds of hours of Animal Crossing, but are you streaming yes. Dark Souls 3? Like, are you jumping I back am. Oh, my God. Uh, it makes it a lot more fun, I think. Because if I was doing it by myself, I could see myself getting frustrated easily. But having people to kind of play with um, makes it a lot more bearable, and it makes I don't know. It's it's really fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. Nice. And what's your Twitch handle again? Uh, Sarahpods. There we go with a Z. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Uh, Kyle, you said you were playing Golden Sun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Golden Sun. It's great. I, uh, yeah, I just I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I like I was talking to an old friend, and we were talking about playing it, and I. I went through my drawer and I realized I'd actually recently sold my copy on uh, eBay because I just sold off a bunch of Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games a couple months ago. And uh, but but it's on the Wii U Virtual uh, Console. Oh, wow. so I bought it there. And what I've been doing now is just like if I'm if I want to get in bed and play Golden Sun, I just pick up the Wii U and just plug it. I don't plug it into a TV. I just plug it into an outlet and then just sit in bed and play Golden Sun on the gamepad. <laughs> Wasn't there so. some nonsense with like? 
the Wii Store, the virtual console with the Wii U, where you couldn't use just the gamepad? Is it not the case for Game Boy Advance games? Remember, like, to play Chrono Trigger, I had to have, like, uh, the Pro Controller plugged into a Wiimote in order to play it. Um... I you know what I'm thinking of? Maybe know. I'm thinking I mean, there's, of... There's, maybe you were doing... It's confusing, but maybe you were playing it backwards compatible on the Wii? I was. You're totally right. That's yeah. exactly what I was doing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, what, um... Yeah, I have a... My history with that game is weird. I, I really loved it. I played it a lot, and I was at the end boss, and my cartridge was actually stolen from me, from my car. It was, like, in my glove box, and I went to go see a movie, and when I got back, my Game Boy Advance was gone. So it's this <laughs> game that's just always been, like on my bucket list of, like, I should finish that someday. And yeah. I don't know, I just got in the mood to play it. And, like, I picked it up very quickly. The combat is so fast and looks so cool on Game Boy Advance. It's got this weird sort of 3D camera that sort of shifts slightly around the combat arena, which is cool. And the music is way better than I re- than I remembered, which people would probably scream at me for not knowing that the music in Golden Sun is fantastic. But uh, I'm, I'm really digging it. I've, I've got that ability we talked about a lot where you can read everyone's minds now. I've yeah. gotten that far in the game now. So, That's yeah, so I'm going to keep going with it. I think I'm going to try to finish it. I remember I was, like, borrowing a GBA from a friend, so I didn't get to finish that game, but I remember getting to the point of, like, okay, now I really need to sit down and work out this gin system. Because it's, like, points, and you allocate different points and make different combos. I'm trying to remember how that system works. Different people equip different gins to have different abilities, and if you if you do it right, they're, like, super powerful, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird. It's a good game. Uh, I'm enjoying Revisit. Nice. There's a second one, right? There's yeah, two which uh, is three. If I if I get through the first one, like I I fully plan on playing the second one because it, they were based originally it was one game that ended up getting split into two. Like it rolls oh, right gosh. into the other one, like pretty seamlessly. I think there's even a code you can enter in Golden Sun Two to sort of like get content from the first game right. or something like that. I mean, the Russo brothers decided to split it up into two games. It was too bad. <laughs> it was ultimately a good decision. Yeah, but then there was the the DS one. Where I felt like that was one of those series where it was just getting to that point where Nintendo fans were starting to spin around in circles saying, give us a new Golden Sun! And then Nintendo gave them that one on the DS. And it seemed like no one really cared too much when it came it's out. Not, it's not very good. I played it. I, oh, okay. I was before my Game Informer days, but I reviewed it for like a freelance outlet. And it's just, it, I don't know. I couldn't even, sp- like it's, it's so far removed at this point that I couldn't tell you exactly why I didn't like it. But yeah. I just found it very dull and it doesn't, it was a 3D game on DS, which were always kind of rough, you know, because it was like right. slightly better than N64. But um, yeah, I just I remember just not really liking it. It just doesn't have the speed and charm of the first two. So right, right. Yeah. But yeah, I can see them bringing it back. Like, is Camelot still doing sports games? I'm trying to think of I what they've they been doing. Mario Tennis on Switch. Oh, which was that's right. That was that's right. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they got an opening now. But Serial, uh, just to complete the trifecta. You've also mm-hmm. been playing some Nintendo games? Yeah, I've been playing uh, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, I think is the entire name of the game. I'm stunned, because I saw you tweet, like, hey, is this going to be fun if I'm just playing this by myself? And I uh, frantically started to type, no, don't do it. It's completely <laughs> mediocre, and I didn't, and now it seems like you're enjoying it, so I'm glad that I bit my tongue. I am. I, I do like it. I, I'm having, I've heard a lot of things about kind of what it does later on, and... I still like the um, the system of the three coins, basically the the three hidden coins that you have to find throughout the level. I think that does a lot to um, make sure that I'm looking through every nook and cranny. Um, and I like some of the weird things that it's doing. Like it it 
this doesn't feel like a game that you could have made in Mario Maker, for for example. Like, there are a lot okay. of more angular designs and kind of tricks that they're pulling, like, you know, uh, blocks coming in from out of nowhere, kind of swinging in into your view as you're running through that don't feel like they're possible in Mario Maker, uh, which I was kind of surprised by because it felt like Mario Maker was released, I think, after the original version of this game. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely felt like, oh, why not just put all the stuff you can do? Why not make it so that you could have made this entire game in Mario Maker? So I'm, I'm kind of surprised by how much it's throwing at me in terms of like new concepts and stuff. And I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. If, um, but um, the, like, the, yeah, I, I haven't gotten to some, like some of the crazier stuff, but I like one of the big reasons I picked it up. Well, the biggest reason I picked it up was because it was on sale. Um, and then the other big reason is that a, a while ago, I think uh, Polygon did their rankings of all the Mario games. And this one was at the top. Number uh, one. Yeah, they're lunatics. They're, yeah, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, so over like there. I was like, well, yeah, I was kind of, that was my reaction too. Of like, that, there's no way that's possible, right? Or uh, so I, I'm kind of playing it with that in mind, and I don't think it's you know reaching those levels. But like, there's there's stuff here that feels like okay, if they if they can kind of throw these kinds of fun little twists early on, I'm curious as to what they do later on because that's kind of the the theme of like recent mario games where they start off pretty like mediocre not super interesting and then once you get to like the end stuff that most people don't get to uh they get kind of crazy or at least yeah. it's been the case for i'd have to think on the mediocre months. thing but i think this is the greatest trolling job of all time from polygon they made you buy this game and are playing through this game just to be like you know what i think that list was arbitrary polygon <laughs> five years five years later or whatever i don't know <laughs> oh i'm gonna leave a hell of a comment they're not gonna know what hit them uh but that works for a segue to talking about platformers and uh crash bandicoot 4 uh which jeff Keeley had one of his classic skits uh where he had like the crash bandicoot guy in a suit come out of his outside of his house and scream at him through the megaphone but then also wearing a mask and then Keeley acting his buns off i guess is the only way you could describe that he did it he really he read lines i'm surprised he didn't send it into lorne michaels because the performance <laughs> from this is out of this world uh I mean, it's funny because like really all they needed was that one picture of crash standing out in front of keely's house with the mask on like right. that was enough of a punchline for me that was all i needed but why stop there no let's get this video moving let's put some motion to this it's like no just give us the picture yeah but still hats off to keely it's pretty cool that he oh, gets yeah, to so announce cool. the reveal of the return of tony hawk and then the return of crash bandicoot you know with actually a new entry but the big surprise is i think we even talked about when we we're talking about tony hawk and you know the remake of one and two is that okay vicarious visions made the remaster the remake of crash one through three a couple of years ago so everybody assumed they're going to be making crash four so like oh what does tony hawk mean for that is their team splitting up into two and now it turns out no they had toys for bob just to confuse things who did the spyro remakes they're making the new crash bandicoot entry which is officially called crash bandicoot four it's about time which kyle you immediately brought up that that's a confusing title yeah it's the same title as Plants vs. Zombies 2. Yeah, it's like, it wasn't Which, that long by ago. by the way, I went and looked that up. They announced it as Plants vs. Zombies 2, It's About Time. Yeah. But then after, like, a certain point, that subtitle was dropped. So, like, it's not called Plants vs. Zombies 2, It's About Time anymore. Like, if you go look it up, it's just called Plants vs. Zombies 2. That's so confusing and odd. Yeah. Uh, and then the confusing thing, too, is like, well, it's confusing to go from Crash 3, which is all about time travel, to Crash Bandicoot 4, 
it's about time. It's like, yeah, no, we just we just had the one about time. And then you watch the trailer and it's not so much that it's about time, it's about like multiple dimensions. And even the like presentation style of the trailer, it's pulling so much from uh the same place as the new Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart. Where like they have like the shattering of dimensions and stuff. And somebody on Twitter mentioned that I think everyone just really liked uh Enter the Spider-Verse, and it happens to be a way to then feed into these two games kind of being visually similar, at least for the trailer presentation here. Um, but hey, I love the original Crash Bandicoot games a lot. I was hoping they'd make a new one. Saw this trailer and said, yeah, this seems fine. Uh, this seems solid enough. I think it's going to get blown out of the water by Ratchet & Clank later this year, but still fun to see Activision actually funding this thing. Yeah, it had wall running, like Prince of Persia, so... So I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those games, those remasters do surprisingly well. Like, though people don't talk about how for, uh, like fervent the fan base is for the, that kind of thing. And I remember like not kind of not necessarily dismiss, dismissing them, but not giving them a lot of credence when they were like, okay. I guess they're, yeah, that it's about time that they remake those uh, those games. And then they came out and they're like some one of some of the biggest sellers, you know, in a, in a long time. So I'm I'm. I'm pretty sure like they're going to do at least this and maybe one more because it'll be successful enough to do that. Well, yeah, and I hope... God, this is confusing, though, because people are also hoping for a new Spyro game. So does that mean then that Vicarious Visions <laughs> will be <laughs> next in line to then develop the Spyro game? But, you know, you, I think that the Spyro games are better design games, at least if we're going Crash 1 versus Spyro 1. Um, and so is that hope that, oh, maybe they took some design lessons from Spyro since it's the team that had to rebuild those games for Crash 4. But then you look at the gameplay and it seems pretty traditional. There's a lot more 2D stuff than I was expecting. And, you know, the Crash Bandicoot games always had a lot of 2D levels kind of sprinkled throughout. But for the reveal gameplay and trailer, there's a little bit more than I was expecting and what they were showing off so far. But the big thing is you get different masks instead of Aku Aku and Uka Uka, which everybody knows and loves. Um, now there's going to be different quantum masks that, you know, you can slow down time or, uh, God, what's the other one? Oh, yeah, uh, change gravity. gravity. Yeah, so it seems like that's a cool new mechanic. You can play as Cortex, and they seem to tease that you can play as more people as well. So looking forward to it coming out October 2nd. Uh, it got me thinking, though, about the fourth entry into video game series. And in my mind, once you get to four, it's a rough go. Uh, you think <laughs> of, like, the Sonic the Hedgehog 4, that classic thing, even, like, Double Dragon 4. And so I started to put together just a list of all the fourth entries in video games. Um, and this is a very specific list. This is fourth entries in video games where it literally has the number four, not Roman numerals. So it cuts out a lot of RPGs. And not is, it, like, is there a particular reason for that? Uh, I just thought it'd be more fun and it cuts out a lot yeah. of the ones that you might forget about. And then not even confusing things. Creed, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no need. Uh, but even stuff like Super Mario Advance 4, or, you know, like that Super Mario Brothers 4 is technically Super Mario World in Japan. Got rid of all that stuff. So just fourth entries, what do you guys think is the highest Metacritic score for the fourth entry in a series? Resident Evil 4. Correct! Serial kills it. Resident Evil 4 with a 96. All right, try and think. There are... One, two, three, four... There are four entries that have a 94 in Metacritic. Let's see if you all can guess them. It's confusing but is final fantasy one of them or is that's that i guess that's, that's roman a roman numeral. numeral get out of here kyle uh, metal gear solid 4 metal gear solid 4 correct mundo not to be confused with the roman numeral for metal gear solid 5 uh but yep that's one of them 
Uh, uh, well, we PC4 is Roman numerals. It so is Roman numerals, correct. And Roman's in it. Uh, let's see. This one, we talked about the series less than four minutes ago. Oh, uh, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Tony 4? Hawk's Pro Skater 4. Way to go. Uh, this one, Kyle, I think you were on board with this. We did a game club discussion of it back at Game Informer. Okay. One of the probably the most influential game from last gen from last gen and it's got a four devil may cry four <laughs> uh, that's not i know that's not the right answer but get out of here but that game reviewed well uh and wasn't in roman numeral okay most influential game from last uh, gen. well now i'm holding a, a in, influential in, game in the top three gen. for sure and it's uh and it was a game club game mm-hmm. or one that we considered I would consider it a forgotten game club game. I forget that we did this. The later one. Uh, uh, Call of Duty. Call of Duty 4. Yep, you got it. You got it. Uh, let's see. Serial. This got a 94 Metacritic. Uh, let's see. It's um, What's your favorite it's genre? Sarah's turn, man. I know, I but... Don't- I'm learning that I don't play games with the number four in them. <laughs> it's a good call. <laughs> it's a good philosophy overall, but you'll get burned every once in a while. All right, Serial, let's see. So this got a 94 Metacritic. What is your favorite genre? Uh, fighting games. Okay. All right. Good wheelhouse. What? Fourth entry. Not a Roman numeral would be at a 94 yeah, in Metacritic. Because Street Fighter 4 is, is Roman numeral. It is. It is. Um... I think of fours. Most of them aren't like Tekken Four is not particularly well regarded. As yeah, far as I remember. I was stunned that this game reviewed so well. I mean, maybe just the lasting legacy hasn't. Like when people talk about the greatest fighting games of all time, I don't think of this. It wouldn't be in my top ten guesses. Uh, Virtual Fighter Four. Virtual Fighter Four got a ninety-four Metacritic. Good call. Oh. When um, was it? That was like two thousand three or something, right? Yeah, or, I think so. That sounds about right. Uh, the lowest Metacritic reviewed game with a four in the title. And this is not counting Fantastic Four on uh, GameCube and Xbox and all that stuff. What do you guys think about anyway? Um, what's that? That was an IV. That's right. Fantastic Four Roman numerals. Uh, <laughs> any guesses on the lowest fourth entry? Can you, I mean, do you have the, I want, is Devil May Cry, that's got to be in like this high sevens or eights. To right? be honest, I thought I got all of the, fourth entries i did not think of devil may cry 4 i because i'm pretty sure that one's not Roman yeah. but i could be wrong okay so worst worst on metacritic yep uh or by the way four. devil may cry 4 on ps3 84 percent on metacritic okay so that would have been up there yeah huh uh man i don't know does it does mass effect have a they, have does not, that does, they can't squeeze a four into andromeda uh let's see it's a little bit surprising. Came out within the last four years. Really? Yep. Um, weather was a big thing in the marketing, and it's and it's not Gears, uh, of, Gears War. of War. It's not Gears oh, of War four, but not they War? share the same weather marketing. What? Physics and weather. The second is the beloved entry. Uh, is it Silent Hill? The main character's name Rome? is Rico. Oh, Just Cause. Just Cause 4 is a 65, mm. and then The Sims at 66, Worms 471, Silent Hill 476, Dynasty Warriors 478. You get the idea. Fourth entries are tough, I think is the I point. wonder, the other question that I have is how many of those are the actual fourth entry in the series? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, because even like Uncharted like, 4, it's like, well, there's Golden Abyss that throws it off. Yeah. Yeah, and Resident Evil 4 is not the, the fourth Resident Evil game. Things like that. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, probably not too many of these things overall. Uh, yeah, I guess Call of Duty 4. I guess that would be, but then after that it gets... Well, there was, there was Big Red 1. And oh, World I forgot about Big Red 1. Yeah. World of War was after 4. That yeah, was World of War after. was after. Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we have something different. Talking about platformers, um, we pulled from the Discord community, the MinMax Discord, which you can access to if you support us at any tier on Patreon. Uh, we pulled from them and said, hey, do you guys want to compile a top 10 list? Let's take the hive mind of the MinMax community and try and put together something here. And so we had them compile the top 10 3D platformers of all time. I don't know what this list looks like. I saw some people debating what is a platformer and the debates were raging in a friendly way because it's the MinMax Discord. But yeah. I was horrified when I saw some of those debates because it took me back to the worst debates back at Game Informer about arguing about genre, which is just a nightmare. Like, Sarah, do you have any definition of a 3D platformer in your mind? Like, where's the line? Um, there is really no line. I saw you guys playing like Battle for Bikini Bottom, yeah, SpongeBob game, and that to me was like my like three D platformer where there's just there's a lot of vertical movement. Right. I didn't, I, didn't, I don't know what you guys consider three D platformers, but it's like give me a fucking well, jumping puzzle, yeah. like give me the the jumping puzzles and Guild Wars, and I'm like this is a three D platform. <laughs> yeah, all right, you gotta have that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, but. You know, stuff is confusing because I think on Wikipedia it lists Uncharted 4 as a 3D platformer. It's like, come on, what are we doing here? This is a mess. <laughs> so, Kyle, you have this list that was... Okay, so they sourced a bunch of ideas, took the top 30 ideas, and then asked the community to rank those. So we have the official verdict after uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of votes and rankings, and this scientific verdict is in, Kyle. Yeah, so I'll and I'll read a little. So big, special shout out to Roland Studmuffin and Adam Walker, Texas Ranger, in the uh, and in the, you know, the Midnight yeah, community yeah. for putting this thing together. And they sent me the list, and I'm just gonna read what Roland uh, sent me because and if we revisit this feature in the in the future, I don't know if I'll I will read all of this, but I think yeah. it's, it's good to set it up here for the first time. So okay. this is from Roland. We had over 70 nominations and cut the final list down to 30 games we felt had a shot at being in the top 10. Many games with platforming elements that aren't necessarily considered a platformer, first and foremost, were cut from the list, such as Portal. Yeah. I think the biggest debate of games that made it on to the final list was... I'll just leave that blank for now. We'll get to that. Oh, no. Um, okay, so here's the big one. To try and diversify this list a bit, if a game series had multiple entries, we only included the game with the highest Metacritic score. This includes Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, oh. which had the same Metacritic, but we kept two under the thought process that it was a slightly larger, slightly more polished version of the first. Correct. And finally... Oh, I'm sorry? I, I said correct. That's a, that's a, that's oh, a true assertion that's real. Wow. Gotcha. And, now, and, then, and then this is the final thing before we kick off the list. Roland did actually send me two versions of the list. Oh, no. One has all the Mario games that were included in the poll. Okay. And one just basically chose one Mario game. I, so like, like, I like all the Mario games in there, though. Okay, that, I, that's kind of where I was leading too. We can look at the other list for fun. But, sure. Um, yeah. So I have, I have. This is the MinMax community's top ten best three D platformers ever. And how do, how do you want to swing this, Hanson? Do you want to try to throw out guesses? Should I just kind of run down the list and we discuss them starting at ten? Mm, yeah. Start. Let's start at ten. Okay. And then maybe you can, as we kind of get closer to the top, maybe we can throw out some guesses. Sure. And stuff like that. 
Okay, so number number ten is Astrobot Rescue Mission. Wow. Oh. That I mean, I love that game, but I'm amazed enough people yeah. played that to rank it that highly. Yeah, I mean it is really good. And uh but I'm I'm with you where it's kinda like, oh, okay, yeah, that's sure. You know, it hasn't been out that long. But I wonder if it's also okay. a little bit of like the kind of that investment idea of like, look, I sunk hundreds and hundreds of dollars into playing VR on my PlayStation. I'm gonna really be passionate about this thing. I mean, yeah, it could be. Okay, so here's number nine, which this okay. is the one that I referenced earlier that uh was maybe the most debated one of whether or not it belongs on the list. Okay, let's see. I'm, I'm personally kind of torn about this. Number nine, Shadow of the Colossus. Uh-uh. You don't think so? I don't want to judge the community. Sarah, where, where do you land on that one? I don't consider it a, a platformer. I no. guess, like, there are platforms, but it's like... If you're going off that, then so many your games goal is, If your goal isn't to get from point A to point B with a bunch of sh- in between... Like on a well, map, I don't I know. I mean, in that game, maybe you kind this, of are. Here's, here's what Roland said. Shadow of the Colossus is literally a game about fighting statues made of platforms. But yeah, no. but the point B is like reviving this woman. It's <laughs> I, all right. You know what? I hey, can't judge the list. Hey, it's the community. Right. Yep. community. Hey, gotta love them. Uh, number eight, Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped. Love it. So that's the one. That's the crash that made the list. Okay. I, I probably would have gone two myself, I think. Yeah, three is funky, but I'm glad I made it in there. Okay, number seven, the first Mario sighting. Any guesses what the first Mario sighting is? Number seven? Uh, 3D World. Mm-mm. 3D Land. No, no. Uh, <laughs> it's not Sunshine, right? It is Sunshine. Okay. Wow. Number seven, <laughs> Wow. Okay, I have not played okay. Mario Sunshine, but I feel like that's usually regarded as one of the worst Mario games. It's yeah, it's it one of the worst wh- Mario games, but it's just one notch above Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. So okay. So then, is the list like these are the best games that happen to be platformers ranked, or is it like there's an intrinsic like platformer quality? And so, like, the number one is the most good platformer versus, like, the Hang best on, game. Serial, I'm going to just jump out of window real quick, just trying to go okay, back to these okay. debates. Uh, this is too brutal. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure you're recording. Uh, Cyril, they just handed us a list of the top 10 3D platformers, so I don't All know. All right, keep it rolling, Kyle. What <laughs> okay. do we got? Okay. Uh, number six, uh, Ratchet and Clank Up Your Arsenal. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Which, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know which one that is. If that's the one that adds three. multiplayer. I believe that's the second one. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, number five, Jack and Daxter Precursor Legacy. I think that's I think that's pretty good. That I think the that's one? the Jack I would put on the list. That's the first one. Yeah. As but, much as I love Jack two and three, I think I would have I would have gone Precursor Legacy. Real quick, so. though, like is Ratchet and Clank? You guys consider that a platform? Because I feel like when I do it, like the primary action that I think about with Ratchet and Clank games is shooting. Right. Yeah. I'm, I I actually where Shadow of the Colossus, I definitely fall not a platformer. Ratchet, I I would totally put that in the platformer genre because there's like maybe you don't remember, but there's a lot of weird jumping things and gravity and like like you shoot a bunch yeah. and then you jump a bunch and then you shoot a bunch and then you jump a bunch. Okay, the one I played most was was a crack in time, so I don't know if that one's like kind of different than the rest of them. Could be. Yeah. yeah. By the way, up your arsenal okay. is uh, the third entry, but yeah. Okay. What do we got, Kyle? Uh, number four. That look again. This is the community list. Uh, they really screwed up here. I hate to tell you guys. Number four is Super Mario Galaxy Two. Way too. Uh, no, that's the yeah. That's yeah. You're you're right in that they screwed up and it should be number one. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, now it's getting weird. Okay, so at this point, I would say Mario sixty four is number one. 
Okay. Uh oh. So yeah, we're down to three, two, one. I don't know if you guys want to throw out some guesses for three, two, one. Is Mario sixty four on that list? Mario sixty four is on the list. Hang on, you're acting like it's number three. <laughs> I'm trying not to betray anything. <laughs> I think uh, it's wait. Are we we're guessing what what the game what those three games? Just are, go ahead right? and tell us where is Mario sixty four, Kyle. Well, okay. Look, number three is Banjo Kazooie. Oh wow. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Number two, <laughs> Hanson, you totally ruined this. <laughs> Number two is Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And so can you guess what number one is? <laughs> Little Big Planet 3. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario 64. Oh, wow. Wow. Number one. They could have told mm. us that and then we could still plug in two and three and guess those. I guess so. I don't know. I was trying to go in order. But, but hey. uh, yeah, so quick. Uh, so here's the list again. Number one, Super Mario 64. Super Mario Odyssey, Banjo-Kazooie, Super Mario Galaxy 2, Jack and Dexter, Precursor Legacy, Ratchet and Clank, Up Your Arsenal, Super Mario Sunshine, Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped, Shadow of the Colossus, Astrobot Rescue Mission. Asterisk bot after there we go. Uh, for the Colossus. Hey, thank you, MinMax community. <laughs> we appreciate it. But yeah, it's it's a nice uh, era for... Yeah, that's super uh, fun. But it's a nice revival just of 3D platformers overall this year. I don't think anybody really saw it coming, but Cyril, you pointed out that you know, PlayStation's getting back into it with... Uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and then Sackboy, A Big Adventure, and Astro Playroom, which will be there at the launch of the PlayStation 5. And then just thinking about, yeah, Crash Bandicoot 4, uh, and then Psychonauts 2 is still on the horizon. Like, it's a surprisingly fertile time period for <laughs> 3D platformers overall, so it's fun to see. Uh, and uh, real quick, the list that just kept one Mario, which put Mario 64 number one. Yeah. The only cha- the, the only change that ultimately made to the list was eight, nine, and ten. Eight was Journey, which is I don't, again I don't know about that as a platformer. Uh, nine, Prince of Persia: Sands of Time, which personally would have been higher in my list. Yeah, and then ten is Ape Escape. Oh, Ape Escape makes that cut. That's amazing. That's fun to yeah. see. Uh, yeah, that's I, I that's fun to go down. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, did you guys watch the Smash presentation? The Smash DLC. Uh, uh, from- yeah. Sakurai's living room? Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's just like that right level of Sakurai nerdiness where he's like, yeah, you know, we couldn't record this in the office. I had to record it at home. So Nintendo sent me some filming equipment. And then he has like a little popping graphic, like showing all of the filming equipment. Like just in case you guys want to see the lights and cameras that we're using here, we have to go into the nerdy details, even on the filmography of shooting this thing. What's up, guys? I'm going to show you my streaming setup. Also the new Smash Brothers character. <laughs> I thought that he was just showing us his two TVs. He's like, I got this TV, and then I got this this TV for actually watching TV. Yeah, he had such a convoluted, weird way of like, oh, if somebody's sitting next to me, they can also play. It seemed like so that if they're he's playing a fighting game or like Smash, that they can just have a better view. I was confused about his explanation for why he had two TVs. It's he not just like to prove that he has friends over sometimes. That's all. <laughs> yeah, he's a very confident man, but still fun to see his house. And he even there's a cute moment where he bragged about like, I think I'm the first Nintendo executive to show off their house. So like, hey, it's not wrong. Uh, and then there was an amazing trailer with an awesome art style where they showed that the Arms character is going to be Min Min, the ramen lover from Arms. Not Twin Tail. Yeah, not the character I would have expected. I think Ribbon Girl would have been because I because Springman was the is the assist trophy, and I don't think Ribbon Girl is like I think she's maybe a spirit, but I don't think she's like in any way like a physical model in the game. So uh, that would have been my guess was Spring Girl, and then yeah, you have like 
Twintel, and then there, and then um, nin, there's like a ninja character. Not Ninjara. to be confused with Ninjala. Yeah. This is Ninjara. Yeah. yeah, we had a lot of issues with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think those those would have, and then yeah, Twintel. Twintel those have, I would have put those ahead of Min Min in terms of who would make it in from yeah. arms. But but then he said that he asked the arms producer, and the arms producer was like, just put Min Min in there. I would like to see Min Min, so done deal. And the weird thing is, like, shaking up the Smash formula, like, all these DLC characters have been so funky uh, for just the Smash basics. And so in this one, it's instead of the special attack, Min Min's B button is her left hand, and then the A button is the right hand, which is a fun idea to to shake things up more in Smash. I'm curious how she actually is going to play when the game's out. She's like a a weird version of Dalsim, because she also has, like, the, if you press back and, and... A, I think she does like the short version and like she has she has like the short range attacks, but yeah. the regular ones are the long range versions. And I think she she doesn't have a lot of from what I saw. I don't th- I don't know that she has a, like a lot of vertical moves, but she has a lot of like long reaching vertical or horizontal moves. And even her grab has like a bunch of range on it that other characters don't. So uh, I'm curious to see yeah how she fares. But she it, I like that they're kind of experimenting uh, with what they're able to do and they're not just bound by like hey well we have we have to have all the same regular set of attacks we have to have the four b attacks and then you know we're done right like they're not filling in those same slots every time they're actually experimenting with some cool ideas yeah yeah definitely uh well hey uh other bizarre news this week uh was that microsoft is officially ditching mixer uh their streaming service which they spent um one gazillion dollars on locking down streamers and now they say, hey, never mind, not so much. Uh, I think 70% of that was for Ninja, probably. <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. They also had Shroud. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, Sarah, as a uh, prolific streamer yourself, what are your thoughts on Mixer shutting down? Well, when I heard it was shutting down, like any you know average person, I immediately went to Mixer to see what was happening. Right. Absolute meltdown. Um, all the streamers were streaming like, F- Mixer. Some of them had their Twitch links in it. People oh, were wow. crying. People were shaking their fists at Mixer and like how they've been abandoned. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. But- <laughs> it seemed like the, the takeaway from a lot of folks, you know, I, I talked to, to one person who was streaming on Mixer quite a bit and they're like, yeah, I was just sick of Twitch and that community and they weren't great about responding to harassment complaints and Mixer had actually built up like a much more welcoming environment overall and now it's hey yoink go over to facebook you like facebook right they're a cool company head over there and everyone's like f you no we won't i mean sarah regarding your story of like going online and seeing people being upset like i don't think it's an inappropriate response Mm -mm, like it seems like the rug was really pulled out from everybody yeah they didn't know even like ninja tweeting was like well i don't know i gotta make decisions you know yeah. yeah, and yeah. see, like, even Mixer employees were tweeting that they also barely had a heads up that this thing was happening, that the entire thing was being shut down, which mm-hmm. is just wild. Like, Microsoft has been making, I think, a lot of really smart, good moves uh, just on a PR front alone over the last handful of years. And this one, it's like, I guess they just felt like they had to rip off the Band-Aid, but it's shocking that a company like that can do a pivot on something that's it seemed like they were dedicated to building over time and i thought maybe with the next gen they'd incorporate mixer a little bit more into the system or into the ui but i guess they already did it this generation it just was not clicking with folks um but so the weird facebook connection where it's like okay it's all those accounts are going to be turned into facebook uh gaming accounts and then in an interview on the verge phil spencer said 
when we think about xCloud, their streaming stuff, uh, and the opportunity to unlock gameplay for 2 billion players, we know it's going to be critically important that our services find large audiences, and Facebook clearly gives us that opportunity. So it is just this weirder idea of Microsoft and Facebook partnering up by like, hey, have all these accounts, please do something with it. Uh, and then at the same time, xCloud is going to be a bigger component on Facebook because I'm sure they're just salivating about that idea of like just being able to click and play a game and stream a game to your Facebook page. I, I think from a creator standpoint, it, 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 it is kind of like a reminder that as successful as like even someone like Ninja or Shroud is, they are kind of still beholden to the companies that run these things, which like as time goes on, like something like Twitch feels like it's more of like a public utility than than like a, a brand service where it's just like you are on it. It is a platform on which a lot of people, you know, stream. But so it can feel like this is just like a thing that I have access to that it that doesn't feel like a product. It feels like something that is just there. Um, but like, you know, at any moment in time, you know, like YouTube changes policies, you know, Twitch can change their policies and that that affects like people's livings in a way that is weird because they're not employees uh, and you know how they're how they're related to the company like partners and, and etc like there's this weird line between contractor and user that is very weird so it is it is kind of concerning to see that kind of stuff just like when they, something like this falls through it just completely pulls the rug out from people yeah mm-hmm. and then you have um like sponsorships like the reason you're being sponsored on mixer is because you exist on mixer so, well, not from Ninja, Ninja's too big, but if you're a smaller streamer, like brands want visibility over all platforms, and then one of them disappears, is that sponsor going to follow you to Twitch, or are they going to say, well, we already have XYZ on Twitch, so we're actually going to mm. pull your sponsorship. Oh, interesting. Yeah, what a nightmare. Um, how is streaming on Twitch going for you, Sarah? Um, Twitch is fine. I mean, I'm still a small enough streamer where... You know, I don't have many problems. Yeah. Um, I've seen other people have problems with, like, getting things fixed, and they really only care about, like, the top 1% of streamers. Harder. I know one thing Mixer did really well was highlighting smaller streamers. Um, like, the front page of Mixer always has, like, a partnered streamer on it, whereas the front page of Twitch, you can pay, like, $3,000 an hour to feature a streamer, to feature an ad. So it's a lot more, like to win on twitch i guess right right yeah uh brad c just to get a jump start on some community emails here he wrote in about this and he says it doesn't really surprise me that mixer is dissolving due to its poor growth and performance but i tend to wonder what the plan was to begin with they didn't deliver on many of the promised features and threw so much money at bringing big names over to it now they're just killing it the timing seems so odd considering they'd probably integrate some features into the series x um that with feature improvements in Mixer, I bet it could have been far more successful than it is now, but nope. And it makes me nervous thinking about what their plan is with all the developers that Microsoft bought that are also under contract. What's their plan for that? Which is an interesting pivot from Brad here. It's the idea of like, if Microsoft's willing to kill something this promising that quickly, does this have any impact or does it change the storm cloud potentially looming over some of our favorite studios that are now bought by microsoft you know the studio like double fine if hey it turns out they aren't profitable bam we'll just we'll kill it um i think that's probably too big of a leap at this point to think that they would just axe one of these studios if it turns out that psychonauts 2 is not going to light the world on fire because i hate to spoil things but i love psychonauts 2 and it's not going to light the world on fire so i think they're aware that these studios they just want them to crank out a lot of games to fill out Game Pass and come up with some hot exclusives for them. So maybe you shouldn't yeah, be it's two too different concerned. worlds under the same umbrella. Kind, hopefully, 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, more business stuff really quick. Um, did you guys see that Ready at Dawn is no longer an independent studio? Yeah, acquired by Oculus. Pretty yeah, wild. yeah. So they developed the Lone Echo VR games for Oculus, and then Facebook ended up buying them. It's a weird one-two punch from Facebook this week just for getting more into the gaming space. Yeah, so Jason Rubin over there at Oculus uh, was also tweeting about this acquisition. Obviously, they've worked together for a long time. Ready at Dawn made... The Order, the Order 1886, uh, the 3D platforming space. They made Daxter, the God of War PSP games. And they've been such a talented studio, especially on a technical front. I think they're just unbelievable. And it's bizarre to look at their history. And I feel like everybody was waiting for the next big swing for them. And now for them to be consumed into Facebook. I'm happy that the studio is more financially stable. I'm sure everybody got a good... Uh, solid pay bump from this experience overall. But it's just a little bit sad that like I wanted the next big console adventure from ready at dawn and now we probably won't see it those echo games are, are cool i don't know if you've played them but they're like they've figured out a movement in virtual reality better than most i would say um but yeah i i, I do i would have rather seen like like you said like a big swing console game i think you know rather than diving deeper into the echo sort of uh rabbit hole that they've created which is interesting like they've they've, they've definitely come up with something very cool in VR. Like, I just to explain, like, the way those games work is you exist in zero gravity, and the way you move around the environment is you grab onto the walls and, like, pull yourself along. So you don't have to, like, uh, zip around the environment, which kind of, you know, I've never really loved, mm -hmm. but you also don't get nauseated because you're in full control. Like, you're using your arms to sort of <laughs> propel yourself forward. Yeah, and uh, they have a shirt and like a story game, and then it, it was announced that they're working on Lone Echo too. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's it's good news for Ready at Dawn, but it's it's still in a, a little disappointing in a small way too, you know. Yeah, and it's weird. I went back to an interview I did with Rue, one of the co-founders over there, um, on the Game Informer show, and this was in 2018, and he described it as they had one project in incubation, like the early stages, then they were finishing production on a project which which was. Uh, Echo Arena, I believe. And then he said they had two projects in development, like in the middle of development. And I went and checked out their site and those projects just never came to be. The only thing that's announced is then uh, Lone Echo 2. So they probably had some big cancellations that probably put them in a little bit more of a dire situation. But we wish the developers the best, um, but it's a little bit sad to see another indie bought up, and especially by Facebook. It just feels like they're going into that Amazon-esque black hole. I know the Oculus games are released more often than Amazon games are overall, but it just feels like that double helix situation of just that studio disappears. And it's like, okay, I, we'll miss them. Oh, I hope, <laughs> hope to see them again sometime. Um, hey, Marvel's Avengers. Uh, they had a stream, basically their E3 stream, uh, showing off more gameplay, going into more details about everything going on with this game. Um, Serial, did you watch that stream? Yeah, I watched the uh, Marvel Avengers War Room stream, which I think is everyone can agree was one of the biggest events of the summer. Uh -huh. um, and that game still is just like I'm. Not, I don't see how that stuff comes together because it, there is still this weird disparity between we're going to tell this like important story about the Avengers with with Kamala Khan, which by the way, like Kamala Khan is like up there with like Spider Man in in terms of my top favorite superheroes ever oh wow and so like i'm super into the idea of her being like even a part of this game and it feels like she's like at the forefront of it and like 
Uh, but even then, it just feels like okay, we're gonna get, we're gonna tell this very cinematic tale that involves the Avengers, and obviously Captain America's dead. He's not coming back. You you won't ever see or play as him. There's no way that that will ever happen. It's gone. Um, but then they're also making this like repeatable, like Destiny style loot driven game. And every time they showed us, it's like, okay, I can see you show off this game, and I'm like, okay, that seems all right. And you show off the loot game, and I'm like, okay, that could be interesting. And yep. then, but like, when I think about what is this game when I sit down to play it, I don't know. I still have a hard time putting that stuff together. I'm with you. I mean, when they first announced it, I think there was that confusion about what is this game actually going to be? So it's kind of like a living game, but then also a story game. And then the more they've shown it, it's just. Yeah, that's what it is. And you just realize that, oh, is this just a bizarre, clumsy fusion of all these elements where, you know, hey, we want to have a central focused single player story if you want it to be single player that you can go through. But then at the same time, I think Square Enix is probably mandating, like, make this a living game. Destinies are big. Please make more of those. Yeah. And so it just feels like this bizarre fusion of those ideas where you have kind of like a the war table and you're choosing your mission it's like okay you need to be level 15 to do this mission then you jump into that one and then that one is just this really slickly produced kind of cinematic experience that you know you could understand crystal dynamics making but it's like well wait a minute then am i going to be replaying that or that's just going to be the other missions because there's also war zone missions and co-op missions it just feels like a bizarre mashup that Mm -hmm. it feels awkward to look at now maybe if you're in the flow of it it'll feel more natural but i'm totally with you where it just they brought on um the creative director from uncharted lost legacy sean Eskeg. i forget how to pronounce his last name exactly but it's like a lot of great talent obviously crystal dynamics we love crystal dynamics and it's just i'm just begging for them to just release, even if it's single player, just release a game that plays into your studio's strengths and your creative director's strengths. Look at like the sales right. of the Spider-Man game. You know, I don't know if it'd be quite at that level, but there's an audience out there and you can still turn a mean profit on that stuff. And instead, it just feels like it's been bastardized by, uh, you know, the evil man hanging above them saying, we got to stretch this sucker out. We got to be able to add microtransactions in here. And I guess... Uh, living games are the way to do it because they mentioned that they have suits and stuff that you can buy in the store even if uh, like new avengers and new regions are going to be added later for free right that even as someone who who does like destiny it feels like that aspect of the game feels like this weird unforced error where i like i don't know that i even necessarily needed or wanted that part of it and there's a weird disconnect also because they do kind of dive a little bit into like hey you know as you complete missions you'll get more uh gear which by the way the interface for that stuff looks basically identical to destinies um and like they they talk about hey you're we'll have different skill trees so your hulk will play differently than my hulk uh, will play differently than my iron man or whatever yeah but then they don't like there's there's with those kinds of games there's always this kind of need to dive into the, the nitty-gritty math of it so they're but they don't do that super well in this stream because they talk about like hey you know like you might have noticed that in this build iron man's laser beams are green that's because he's doing gamma damage but they don't explain, like, what, how is it different from his regular damage? How is that, like, are enemies resistant to different types of damage? Like, does that mean you're playing it? Like, do you, is there a different mechanic behind gamma damage? Like, so they just kind of tell you, they're, yeah, they're going to have spell resistances and whatever. Like, they're just they're throwing mechanics at you without kind of telling you how that's going to work. So, and all the action you see is just like, it just kind of like, for all I know, he's just mashing the square button and, and unleashing a bunch of powers, right? Like, there's not, like, a good understanding of, like, 
how this combat flows in, in a way that would help kind of set it apart and say like, oh, this is why you want this type of gear and this is how this build functions as an action uh, thing that you're doing as Iron Man. Yeah, for sure. And like you look at the gameplay and it's like, okay, you're playing as Thor and then you just kind of beat on things with Molnir. And like I played it a little bit uh, last year and it does, it's a very God of War feeling, but it is satisfying to throw Molnir and then like get it back to you. And it feels like, okay, it feels somewhat satisfying to play. But then in that gameplay they were showing, it's just kind of a lot of beating on machines. And it has me worried like, okay, we're fighting against AIM as the organization here and Modox the big bad, which is fun. But it just, it, it scared me that there's going to be a lot of replaying these cinematic missions over and over again. It just, it feels like they should have been leaning into this living game aspect more. And I know it's a different studio, but still coming from Marvel with something like Ultima Alliance 3. You know, like mm-hmm. keep your RPG systems in that arena. Don't let it start to seep into this extremely expensive cinematic presentation. These, I don't think these two tastes work well together. Yeah, because I mean, it, it feels weird because like as much as they're aping Destiny, they're not really learning from that studio, like from Bungie's mistakes, right? Because at this point, yeah. they've kind of scaled down having left Activision and they're making the move towards making it more of like a literal MMO where you're kind of instead of getting like, hey, here's the eight hour campaign that is like super cinematic and focused. And then we'll also kind of drip feed you slower content because we were working so hard on this very expensive cinematic experience. And they're kind of just saying we're going to lean into the like the hardcore, like every like you're doing loops basically to unlock the next loot drop. And here it feels like they're making like the Destiny 2 launch mistake of like we want to get both. We want to get both yeah. the, the people who like Halo and MMOs. And it feels like they're setting themselves up to make that same mistake of like, well, there's nothing to really to do here because you spent so much money on this that the long-term players aren't really getting what they want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we still love the studio rooting for the game. It's coming out September 4th, but it is, it's tough. Every time we see it, it's just that, I don't know. It's not quite there. I want to like it, um, but we'll find out soon. Um, speaking of uh, wincing, um, so that presentation was hosted by uh, Casey Lynch, who used to be from IGN. Um, And he he repeated several times, hey, everybody, I'm Casey Lynch, which could not have been worse timing for this overall thing um, because I don't know if you're following uh, gaming Twitter throughout the last week, but what, it's been the last five days? Seems like over the weekend, there's kind of been what I guess you could describe as like a second me too movement or just kind of a resurgence of people in the game industry specifically i think it started with wrestling and women in the wrestling um space speaking up a little bit more and then it seemed like that's kind of what triggered people in the gaming space just to kind of raise their hand and say hey uh yeah sexual harassment and uh much worse is rampant in the gaming industry and a lot of people have been sharing their stories there's a a medium post that kind of has a roundup of just people talking about the amount of bullshit in the video game industry, specifically towards women. Uh, some men are also telling their stories in there. Um, and, you know, somebody who... It seems like a lot of it's coming from former IGN employees talking about, yeah, the people at the top, including Casey Lynch at the time, um, but maybe even more so Tall and then also Steve Butts were nightmares to work with. Um, yeah, we should know that these are these people are no longer with the company. These are a right. lot of people recounting their experiences with the ex kind of leading management over at the IGN gaming part of it, you know. Right, right. And so it's an interesting blend of it started out with people and women talking about just the amount of you know BS and uh, sexual harassment they've had to deal with in the game industry. And then it's kind of bled over into people just talking about 
you know, ass- running companies right. uh, in general. Yeah, I mean, I think the first I saw it was people talking about Chris Avalone and his history, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was like the big kickoff for me. But yeah, I mean, I, it's so hard to talk about that stuff. So like, I appreciate everyone like coming up and sharing their stories because like, yeah. my hope is that it will stem it and like help reduce it. I mean, my wife, who is a, a very talented programmer, like written books about developing in Unity and stuff like that. My wife pretty much left the game industry because of issues like this. Yeah. And so like it's 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 tough to see, but like I'm also like thankful to see it in a way. Like I want to see people sharing these stories. I don't want it to be this like secret, you know? Yeah. It's kind of how I'm, I feel about it. What I'm hoping is like I don't want this to discourage other women from entering the game industries because in the end, like, this is good. When I was entering the game industry, none of this was happening. These people were still, like, keeping secrets. People weren't speaking up. So the fact that you're seeing all these people speak up is the start of, I hope, a good thing. Like, let's get these people out. Let's hope that we get to keep these women in the industry because one thing you don't see is older women in the industry, mm. all my mentors have been male. Um, don't see a lot of women in like higher up positions. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of imbalance, I would say. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, hopefully this this helps tip things. You know, I, I hope mm. that's my hope. Yeah, you know? yeah, and there has been, you know. Um, some like a few actions, I think Techland after Chris Avalone, uh, the allegations against Chris Avalone kind of came out. They kind of basically let him go. And then as recently as today, I think. So hang on, just, my- real quick, real quick, just Chris Avalone backstory. If people are familiar with that name going back to the origins of Obsidian, you know, lead writer for like KOTOR 2, uh, yeah. New Vegas. Yeah. People really love Chris Avalone's work. And then he also wrote on like Jedi Fallen Order. And then he was working on, yeah, with Techland and Dying Light 2. And then so, Techland said he's no longer on the project or they're just downplaying how much he was involved to begin with? I wasn't entirely he's sure. He's out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, same with Vampire the Masquerade too. Like they cut time. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, today uh, Ashraf Ismail, who's the, the director of Assassin's Creed Origins and Valhalla. Uh, and Black Flag. Yeah, he's, he's no longer directing that game. So um, it so seems like he's... Nice he, that, like action is being taken a little bit more quickly than it has in the past where it just feels like a lot of the times you just, well, that sucks, but like, and also a lot of these end up being kind of these open secrets in the industry where people's like, yeah, I'll warn you about not talking to him, but don't tell anyone I told you because this is, we're trying to keep this on the low, like don't tell anyone because a lot of the reason people don't come out about this stuff when it happens is because they're afraid of retaliation about people saying like, well, either I don't believe you, which tends to happen with a lot of like people who come out about this stuff or you're going to be pegged as like, you you like this is the the thing you're most famous for and they, it could like ruin your career in a lot of ways so people aren't being open about this stuff because of all these things and so it's so it's especially nice to see that that people are taking it more seriously than they have in the past yeah and you know it's a nice reminder that this is just the tip of the iceberg like all the stories you see there are so many more you know even from people i know that are like i just don't want to get into it i don't want to write a whole twitter thing it's just too upsetting emotionally it's to hard. Yeah, yeah to just totally. throw yourself in that pit um and it you know talking about you know keeping it an open secret and all that stuff that's what i think about is just thinking about all you know the names being thrown out there and there's so many where it's like oh i've worked with them i've worked with them i've worked with them and it's like my god like what what could we do because i think you know just thinking about 
you know, my own guilt in this situation, I think of situations where it almost becomes like a little bit of a, a stupid joke. It was like, oh, this guy's kind of a creep. Haha, <laughs> you wouldn't believe what a creep this guy is. All right, moving on. You know, it's like, oh, no, hang on. There's probably, you should pause at that moment of just like, well, common secret knowledge is, of course, this guy's a creep. What are you going to do yeah. about it? And there's that weird thing, too, of like, what what do you do about it when you don't know anything specific other than, I think this guy's being a little bit of a creep, you know? And right. I don't know what the, I don't know, this is just me working through my own feelings about it, right, from people that, yeah. you know, we worked with, um, of just thinking, should I just have reached out to women more that I knew he was talking to to see if this was insane? I don't know what we should have yeah. done. Yeah, there, I mean, it, it, it always, it, I feel like for me, I'm also kind of working through this stuff because I'm not like, you know, I, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but it, it's always felt like the thing that I, that you continue to hear from, you know, uh, victims that a lot of people talking about is that like the, the most important thing to do is, you know, believe people when they tell you this stuff is to say, is to not kind of dismiss it or like, well, that, that maybe was just you, but he's nice to me, you know, like right. that kind of thing is to, is to not have that defensive instinct of, I associate with this person and someone says something bad about them. So I'm going to like take the, you know, so it's like he said, she said kind of thing. So it, and that always ends up being like, well, then I guess I don't do anything about it. And I feel like that's sort of where people are coming from is like, they're not doing this to try to like, and somebody's career, they're saying they're like trying to warn people to not associate with this person because they could get hurt. And so I think when, when that, when that's kind of at stake here, I think it's important to at least try to do something about it when you can. And, you know. Yeah. Oh. And I've been like, I've been discouraged by like male coworkers, like, oh, Sarah, don't go to this event. Like so-and-so is going to be there. And I'm like, how about you tell him to not come to the event? So there's, I've had a lot of situations where it's like, oh, Sarah, you can't, we don't want you to come out with us. We don't want you to hang out with us tonight because so-and-so is going to be there and we don't want anything bad to happen to you. And I'm like, oh, uh, thank you. But could you like throw out the trash, please? That's insane. That happened Mm -hmm. more than once, Sarah? Yeah. A lot of like, oh, you know, you know, you shouldn't hang out with us like late at night. We're going to be going out with so. So it's like I missed out on a lot of not like career opportunities, but just like growth. Right. Where it's like, oh, like, oh, Sarah, he might he might make like sexual jokes around you. And I'm like, don't not to. Yeah, like, but that that, is, that should be his problem, not yours in, in, yeah, in, in a lot yeah. of those cases. And I like I've been like not I've been lucky enough to not be like a, at super involved in, in something like that but you know you'd hear stories about like specifically with the IGN stuff of just hearing like anytime someone brought out like the idea of working at IGN like especially when I started it came in from people were like yeah I've heard some not so great things about working at IGN yeah and people would just be like I don't know I don't really want to talk about it and so it always felt like okay well I guess it just must be like not super fun to work there but it's like the longer I've been in this industry the more it feels like oh they were trying to they were saying something but they were being kind of vague about it for whatever reason uh, and, and it feels like, yeah, it, it, it is prolific. It is not just in development. It is not just in the press. Like there have been stuff like, you know, people involved in like the Dota 2, like two Dota 2 commentators were kind of, mm. were like allegations came out of like pretty aggressive ones, like about some really terrible things they did. Like people like Destiny 2 streamer, like bun- bungee people had to talk about this kind of stuff about Destiny 2 streamers. And so it, it is like, it is like everywhere and like you said it started with with wrestling so it is it is not just like a game industry problem it is a a widespread uh kind of thing yeah it is one of those things where you start to wonder i mean certainly gaming is such a weird case for being you know predominantly men 
and a lot of younger men and a lot of booze at events. And, you know, please don't take that as an excuse, but it's just like this recipe for like, yeah, it's going to be a f***ing nightmare out there for a lot of women. Um, and it's absurd and needs a change. And then you think, is this just that we're plugged into the gaming sphere on Twitter? So we see all this, you know, are there, is the real estate business, are, are there just as many stories out there? You know, it probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it, but like I think when it comes to something like even uh, STEM fields, you know, uh, like kind of math oriented fields, there's always this assertion. Well, like women just don't like you know math or whatever. Right. Like, or they're like they're less predisposed to do it, and so like those men are always like, well, it's like it's a self. There's men are everywhere because it's a self selecting thing, right? And you hear stories like this, and it's like, well, there's also this whole thing where people where, where women aren't allowed to have like the opportunities that they should that they're where they're kind of denied kind of uh growth because there aren't many mentors like like sarah said and you know they're when it push up comes to shove like the women are always getting pushed out in favor of men in positions of power and that that to me is like what, what's super frustrating is that this this is the thing that is that is keeping women out of like higher positions in the in the gaming field and then people are justifying it in all these other ways that are like increasingly frustrating to see yeah and the big issue like with gaming versus like real estate is gaming is all about like networking Mm-hmm. It's still a very much who you know industry. So like you have to go to those like events where there's a lot of young guys and a lot of alcohol and you got to try to like stick it out. Yeah. And when you meet someone for the first time, you're like this person, you know, I really admired their work. And you're like, but like, do I want to try and get too friendly with them? I don't know. Like, do I want their help? Yes. But do I want to maybe go a little too flick? I don't want them to like try and hit on me. But so it's just a lot harder to network. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm thinking about just how welcoming the industry is to women or not welcoming. It's maybe a st- stupid example, but, you know, we streamed the press conferences from E3, E3 2004 a couple weeks ago as like the grand finale for a charity drive. And, you know, it was a it was from a DVD that GameSpot produced and they had like this highlights of E3 2004. And E3 2004 to me doesn't feel that long ago. Uh, and just like the presentation of women at E3 in 2004. I know booth babes have been, you know, well, there's none this year, I suppose. Uh, But, you know, it's been in the down decline over the last 10 years and it's gotten a lot better. But just seeing footage from 2004 and how this industry uh, portrayed women and how, like, it just the level of sexual sexual adjacent it was just absurd seeing like you know the women from nintendo's booth with like the game boy micros strapped to them and they're in like bikinis it was just a nightmare to be like yeah no wonder women don't want to get into this industry it's so easy to forget that stuff when when people talk about well it's like when when people when people are looking to hire they pick the like it's a meritocracy people are looking for the best position in the job uh or for the best person who for the job but it's like there are all these other external factors that that because the gaming industry has so for so long like felt like the default is the white male perspective that those white males kind of oversee like overlook a lot of stuff that is driving like people of color and women out of the space when it comes time to apply to where they don't feel secure about applying to various places yeah yeah so yeah it's worth checking out uh that medium post we can uh have a link in the in the show notes here um just to try and get some sense of what people are going through throughout this industry and most likely the world here um oh nick l yeah i'm glad we talked about it i mean for sure like oh, good. It, i don't want to, i just don't want it to be something we ignore so yeah, yeah absolutely um nick l uh, had a question here 
Actually, a lot of people did. Uh, Nick L. said, Over the past week, we've seen a bunch of people come forward with their ex experiences with racism, sexual assault, grooming, and more. A lot of abusers, abusers in the industry have been implied or outright named. Um, I know I can support the victims by listening to their stories and not supporting these scumbags, but how do I do that when some of these people are protected by companies? For streamers that have done these things, it's easy not to follow them. How can I make my voice heard so the company to the companies that employ these people and then robbie flanagan also had a question saying in light of what seems to be coming out of ign uh, of staff being mentally abused and in a and in their working and working in terrible conditions what do you all feel is the best way to support the good staff that still remain um so i think nick and robbie are both just wondering you know <laughs> tough questions it's, but it's what do you do in these situations I, I mean i don't think any of us are going to have a great i mean i have but. I used to run social media for businesses, right? I ran like pretty big social media accounts. And if you tweet at a business's account, like aggressively saying like, I heard these rumors, what are you going to do about it? Like, especially they will look at that. And if you do it a lot and if enough people do it, like that does go right to the top because it, it reflects poorly on the company. Does that come through a mediator okay. like you? Do you see okay. that and have these reports or is everybody just checking casually like, hey, it seems like we're blown up. Mostly it's like a social media manager will field all the requests. And if we, like when I worked back um, on like the Omen Twitter, we did a lot of sponsors and people would be like, hey, I saw one of your sponsored people said this and I don't think that aligns with your brand very well. We do take that very seriously and we take it to the top and we're like, hey, we're, we're looking bad here. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that helps. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, sorry. Oh, I mean, just another thing is that like it, it's... You know, there, there is no ethical consumption and all that. But uh, I think a lot of the people who, who both suffered and, you know, uh, before then who were there at IGN, you know, like, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily fair to take it out on, on like the people working there now, because that, this right. is definitely for, for IGN a thing where like it was X people in X management. And it, uh, uh, Kelly Plage, who who is the reviews editor at GameSpot, who suffered a lot of abuse under, you know, the three people at IGN mentioned that. Hey, please don't take it on on them on, on like the people who work who work there now, right? Right. And so right. it's not as simple as like, um, you know, just like a like uh, boycott IGN or whatever because they allowed this to happen, which is you know like a, a, a fair structural criticism. But I think it's more important to do the kind of thing like believe people when they tell you this stuff and to like when you're hiring to be more aware of this kind of stuff and, and the biases that that come in place and to yeah. speak out about this stuff when you see it. I think is probably the most important thing. But yeah, there aren't any easy answers about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle, do you know how this whole thing operates? By that, I mean, by, yeah, yeah, yeah. By that, I mean, MinMax, not, not, uh, <laughs> serialized abuse <laughs> in the industry. Uh, we're a Patreon, Ben Hansen. Okay. We're thank you. By, by folks who are support us on Patreon. I don't know. I was going somewhere with that, but then I, <laughs> it's a beautiful transition. Yes. Thank uh, you. Thank Wallace. you to everybody that supports us at Patreon and comes with Max two ends. Um, we're happy to announce that this week Ana Diaz is kicking off a new show, uh, called refreshed. So it's going to be, uh, a online culture talk show is how she likes to think of it. And so basically it's taking the best stuff, the most positive stuff, highlights from the internet overall, uh, art, people, events, uh, and talking all about what makes it special on the internet. Um, and so it's going to be a streaming show 
first. So the first episode is going to be this Friday at 6 p.m. Central at uh, twitch.tv slash show. You can go there and check it out as it airs live. Then we're going to be taking that archive and then putting it up in the podcast feed for Patreon supporters. And then also it'll make its way to YouTube as well. So you can check that out. Go say hi to Anna. It's very fun to uh, launch this whole thing with her. Because, you know, when we were talking to her a while ago about, oh, it'd be nice if you wanted to do more stuff with the MinMax, if it works with your schedule. Um, and I asked her, like, do you have any show ideas? And she's like, yeah, I want to do one about online culture. It's like, oh, great. That's something I never would have thought of. Uh, so it's exciting to see her uh, launch that. And so jump in the chat and ask some nice questions for Anna because they're going to have every episode. She's going to have a lot of guests coming on. And then also there'll be a, a Q&A section as well. So you can jump in that chat and uh, ask her anything you'd like. Um also, wanted to plug Mintracks, our standalone music podcast. Last week, we had Alex Navarro from Giant Bomb on. This is the podcast that's hosted by Matt Helgeson, former host of the Game Informer show. So Alex Navarro was on talking about Deftones, and that episode was Public Enemy versus Deftones. So it was the classic matchup, so please check that out. <laughs> the next episode, which is going to be airing next week, is going to be, I believe, another special edition all about something that I would consider to be the greatest work of all time, Kyle. Oh, yeah, quite a tease. Yeah, so we'll dive into that. Also, more plugs is I wanted to mention uh, MinFax, which is going to be this Sunday at 8 p.m. Central. This is our weekly community Q&A. And then because it's the last Sunday of the month, we do a special call-in episode. So if you're a $20 supporter on Patreon, you can call in and ask us anything you'd like. And this Sunday is going to be a special one where uh, Dan Reichert's going to be joining us. So forget me, forget us. If you've ever wanted to ask Dan Reichert anything under the sun, you can do it this Sunday at 8 p.m. Central by uh, calling in if you're at that high council tier on Patreon. Um, also wanted to thank Satisfy, who make those Switch Grips. Um, we had that contest last week uh, to tweet out your favorite piece of MinMax content, and uh, Noah Stewart and Digital Veins ended up winning there. It was a random number generator is how we chose that, so congratulations to them, and Satisfy will ship them out some of those sweet Switch Grips. Um, but Beaten Down Brian is a supporter this month. He says, hello, everyone. Could you do with a nice tall glass of wholesome right now? Yes, you say? Well, then I encourage you to go check out the From Father to Son podcast, which is hosted by Tyler Carver, a.k.a. community member Major Panda, and his seven-year-old son, Liam. The podcast covers everything from movies to games and books and explores the differing perceptions of media between the two generations. Just search From Father to Son in your favorite podcast app, and you're sure to find it. And don't forget to leave them a nice review. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, our community is so nice that people like Beaten Down Brian they pay to be a supporter of the podcast and then they use that opportunity to plug other community members Aww. things it's very nice also thanks to i am 8-bit for their support of minmax overall and they want you to know that they have a limited edition of what the gulf uh for switch they're only printing 2500 copies of these things so they have what the gulf on switch and then also the what the gulf soundtrack on vinyl at the i am 8-bit store it is exclusive to i am 8-bit so you can check it out there it comes with a sticker sheet and if you enter the promo code minmax you get 10 percent off any order at the I am 8-bit store so be sure to thank them for us we'd appreciate it and be sure to thank them because every week they ship out something from their amazing store to whoever wins question of the week if you support us at any tier on patreon you can submit a question for us to read on the minmax show and then we choose your absolute favorite and I am 8-bit ships out something very nice this week let's go with what's it gonna be it's gonna be something he's grabbing it this is a beast this is the Uncharted Lost Legacy vinyl soundtrack. Everybody's thinking about Naughty Dog games here. Mm -hmm. We're doing The Last of Us for the deepest well, dive. That's a big eye. Yeah. What's I'll that? hold up the cover. 
for the audio listeners, it's it's a big eyeball. It's the two women, right? I believe it's Nadine's and, and Chloe's eyeballs. Yeah, music by Henry Jackson. So we'll ship that out to our favorite question of the week. Sarah, are you ready to get to these community questions? Yes. Great. Do you want to read the first one? What's the first one? What am I, am I looking? Where am I'm I looking? just messing with you. Okay, That's the, the first, first one. Oh, no. What am the I first, looking? Where, where am I looking? <laughs> Don't worry about it. The first one is from Amonzo7, of course. He says, hello, minions, two ends. Hello. Uh, with games being postponed and everything going on, I wanted to ask if every game got pushed until 2021, except for one currently scheduled this year, what game would you want that to be? Which, in my mind, is the most convoluted way of asking what's your most anticipated game of 2020 at this point, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I still feel like we don't know a lot of 2020 games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Microsoft stuff. Sparse. I mean, yeah, Microsoft I feel like with the mic- Microsoft with, stuff. Yeah, the confusing first-party Microsoft stuff. But I mean, with the PS5 stream, I feel like we're we're sitting on it. I think we got a pretty good idea of what's coming now. I mean, it's it's right around the corner. We're a few weeks now, but I mean, even before Last of Us, I would have put Ghost of Tsushima up there. I'm still really excited for that game. That's so. still your number one. I think so. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, it, it feels weird to use that because it's like it's so close. I can almost touch it. But uh, I mean, that's I love Sucker Punch, man. I can't wait for that game. Yeah. Uh, Amonzo, by the way, uh, chose Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Of course, I yeah. think that's going to be a lot of people's mm-hmm. answers. Is that anybody's answer here? No. Okay, Sarah, what do you got? Uh, I'm I'm still waiting for Ooblets. Do you guys? I've been uh, waiting yeah. for Ooblets since like twenty sixteen when it was announced at the Xbox E three Indies. I was like, wow, amazing. I can't wait. And now we're like in 2020. And they're like, we're, we have a beta. And I'm like, you better at this point. <laughs> so Sarah, let's... just like earlier this week, my wife was just sitting at her computer and she just kind of went. Ugh. Did she get the Ooblets? Like she was like, is Ooblets ever coming out at this point? Like, <laughs> I ask myself that question every night before I go to bed. <laughs> it's the tough thing, but it's maybe a dose of reality. Because remember, didn't they have some messaging a while back about we're committed to anti-crunch culture? Yeah, yeah. With Ooblets they development. To, they went from Xbox to Double Fine, and now they're on the Epic Store. And I'm just like, what? Is there a game? Any? Because <laughs> what is it? It's like Pokemon inspired, but then also Stardew Valley. What is it? It's like from what I've seen, which is very little. Um, we got it, way, sir. It's not out. You sort of you sort of collect tiny little cute Pokemon type minions, and then you battle, but you do little dance battles in the world of Ooblet. So you all kind of dance battle and then you can farm and like decorate your house. And you know, I'm very much the target audience for this. But. Right. As Animal Crossing's number one fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got it. Uh, Serial, what's your number one? Uh, it's weird. Cause like, I think in terms of the game that I want most, it's probably paper Mario. Oh, oh but I think if, if I would be okay with it getting pushed because I think, I think the game I would want to stay where it is is probably Destiny 2, the new expansion, because that'll just hold me over until the rest of the games come out. Okay. Because that, that'll be the longest lasting one. You're really <laughs> thinking about Amonzo's question. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Uh, didn't Weren't you streaming the first Paper Mario or playing it? No, I've, I've, I've been playing it, but I, I'm, I'm, I've chosen another game I'm going to stream, but it'll be, it'll be a different one. Okay. Uh, how does the first Paper Mario hold up? I'm not super far into it, but I, I, I haven't gotten even the um, the jump mechanic where you can time your button presses. Oh, wow. And I'm like two hours in, and I feel like I'm hoping they unlock this stuff soon because I remember this being part of the second one, and 
I was kind of, there was a good period of time where I thought like, is this is that just not in this game? Which would make it feel like a very boring RPG otherwise. No, it'll be in there. Oh, okay. they'll hit you with it. Uh, maybe this is insane. I was looking at that list of games coming out in 2020, what I'm most looking forward to. And some of the PS5 launch stuff is exciting. I'm excited about Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man, of course. But I think Yakuza 7 might still be the number one at this point. Uh, I'm really excited to play yeah. that game. And maybe it's just, I love Final Fantasy VII Remake so much that to have something that's in a backwards way going to feel a little bit like that, I'm excited for that thing. Uh, Sarah, okay, but I've waited the longest for Ooblets. So I think <laughs> that I get Ooblets. Right. They're happy to yeah, announce that she will be the one who gets her game. Everyone else will wait until 2020. <laughs> yep. Every question is a competition, and Sarah has won the Yeah, I'm yeah. 8-Bit's going to ship you out something real nice. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, is one question point. Ooblets soundcheck in 2025? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Devin Cheek says, hello, let's talk about getting old. How do you think your relationship with video games will evolve as you get older? Um, looking into the future, I'm curious how my relationship will change as I go into my 40s, 50s, and 60s. Because it seems like he says in his 30s, he's more into gaming than he's ever been. Um, does anybody have thoughts on that? About just, you know. I'll be playing Pokemon Unite with my fellow uh, retirees right. in the old folks' home <laughs> in VR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I worry that. I will always be obsessed with what just came out or what is coming out. Like, I like the idea of like going like destiny, for example, like if that was my game and I just played that all the time, but I just don't think I don't, I can't stick to games long enough. So I think even as an old man, I'll still be like, Oh, can't wait for God of War seven, you know, like got to get that day one. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Will I, will I chill out in that regard? I hope so. The midnight launch for God of War seven is going to be you and a bunch of 20 year olds. <laughs> No, man, I'll just be downloading that sucker on my, uh-huh. you know, directly into my eyeball console or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going to be two spherical consoles that you replace your eyeballs with, and that's where you'll oh. play God of War 7. It's going to be Sign sweet. Sign me up. <laughs> I feel like I'm already being a little choosier about what I play, where I think when I was young and in college and did, had, like, infinite amount of time, I could just say, like, yeah, I should play that just to stay current, and so I'm going to try to play a little bit of everything. And I think as I get older, I'm kind of more selective about when and where I do start stuff because I'm I'm usually the type of person that when I start a game I tr- tend to try to finish it I don't li- I, I don't like to like play through half of a game and then just kind of fall off of it so I think what I've decided slowly just kind of naturally is to just be pickier about which games I play yeah but uh yeah I don't I don't know I don't I could it could shift back the other way once we get out of whatever is going on you know in the world but uh yeah, I feel like that's sort of where I'm trending is to just be a little pickier about what I play and spend more because I do have stuff like Dota and Destiny that I do spend uh, too much time with. Um, so I do have to feel I feel like in order to keep current, I have to be picky about what I play otherwise. Yeah. Joshua Sanders says this is more of a PSA, but it should make life better for some gamers. I'm 42 years old. and I mostly play on Xbox One X and my reflexes are slowing down, especially in first person shooters. My favorite game is Apex Legends, but I'm not great at it. I could never win the one on one battles when seemingly we'd start shooting at the same time. My aiming was horrible and even movement felt slower than it should have been. Folks, make sure the game mode is on in your TV display settings. Input lag, whatever. I'm here to tell you it's a real thing. I switched on game mode, and the difference is night and day. I can actually aim. It also feels like I just got let out of quicksand. I feel like an idiot for wasting all this time. Please check out this setting. I, I was going to say, is it, because, 
Yeah, I was going to say, is it because you're a controller and not keyboard and mouse? <laughs> like a real gamer? Yeah, Sanders. Uh, but hey, good PSA. Let us know if you find that game mode on your TV and it does have an impact. I would love to know oh. more about this. Dude, Mega Man 11 was the game that taught me about game mode recently. Really? Yeah, like it was. It made a colossal difference in Mega Man 11. Uh, so I'm. Who, what was this guy's name again? I missed his name. Joshua Sanders. He's on to something. Okay. Yeah. Game Smart mode. man. There Game we go. mode it up immediately. Uh, Lewis Kane says, hey team, at this point, is there anything feature-wise that could real- realistically ever stop people from buying a new console? I honestly think if the PlayStation 5 had zero backwards compatibility, it truly wouldn't matter. Similar with the Series X. Uh, they could bring back the dumb only one person per game rule, and I think it wouldn't even matter. These things are just going to sell themselves. I think that's a stretch, Lewis. I think if, like, the one game, per, per, like, the stuff that was really wrong with the Xbox One, if yeah. Series X and PlayStation 5 were, like, we're both committing to that, I could see people being like, well, that sucks, but I want to play the new games. Mm-hmm. But if it was, again, like, one system's doing it and one isn't, I think everyone's going to go with the other system, you know? Okay, let's say, here's this hypothetical that Lewis wants us to wade into. Let's say just the PlayStation 5 has that one person, one game. All Let's say... Most of the BS from the launch of the Xbox One, PlayStation 5 was fully embracing. Uh, I mean, percentage-wise, how much would that hurt their first month of sales? 10%? 3. 3%! (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, I think those things are going to sell out no matter what. You have X number of people who are just going to buy whatever stock is available. Like, your first 2 million are basically, I imagine, guaranteed. uh, Unless they do something, like, they would have to... Yeah, they have to have to charge like a thousand dollars for that thing for it to not sell out, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a confusing year this year. I feel like I'm getting ready to scramble to try and get a console at the end of the year. But yeah, I think I think they still have to try. It's not exactly you know Marvel's Endgame or something yeah. where they could just release no marketing and still it would do gangbusters. Yeah, like it, it would sell pr- really well for the holiday, but I think long tail you might see like more drop offs as people kind of realize, oh, I can't share my games with anybody. So, like, I'm just going to be less, I'm, I might just buy it on PC or go to GOG whenever, like, the I have the option and I'll just stick with the Sony games yeah. uh, when, when, those are, when those come out. Uh, Kyle, did you see that Halo tease today? I, 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 it's on my queue to look at tomorrow, you know, cause I, <laughs> uh, which is the same for Marvel. I, I know Brutes are coming back, right? Yes, yeah, so it's, okay. they teased Halo Infinite because, you know, that, Xbox events happening in July. I don't know if they've given an exact date yet, but the first party Microsoft stuff where people are expecting to see stuff like Fable, we'll see. Um, but then Halo Infinite had like a minute long teaser where it was a big boy uh, talking over the radio. And he oh, said, big boy, yes. And he said that they're the banished was the name. And I'm not okay. hip enough on Halo lore to understand why that's a big deal for some people. I guess that I guess that's the brutes. Yeah, same. Because I the thing that I saw was people were kind of using the term interchangeably. Okay. Like, oh, the banished, the brutes are back. You know, but and that's exciting cool. as a Halo fan. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They're, I remember fighting them in Halo Three. Okay. <laughs> All right. And two, I guess. So therefore, uh, there we go. Um, I'm excited to see the the gameplay of Halo Infinite. Yes. I, I'm not yeah. enough of a, a fanatic like to understand those The details. return of the Brutes is maybe pretty low on what I wanted to see out of Halo Infinite. <laughs> well, I assume <laughs> there's more in the hook than just that these guys are coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Uh, I mean, it's cool. I don't, it's not like I saw it and was not like, bad. Oh. 
it's for the super fans. It's a, you know, yeah. not not for us. Uh, Nick Novotny says, after letting the PlayStation 5 event sink in for a bit, I kept thinking about the innovations we saw in the Ratchet and Clank demo. The concept of having minimal load times seemed to open doors for new innovations in the game industry, but will third-party companies be stifled by Microsoft's approach of having everything play on current gen? Does this prevent third-party game companies from innovating on gameplay mechanics? The series X will have a great resolution and frame rate, but what happens when you push the number of assets on the screen or get creative with load times like we saw in Ratchet and Clank? At what point does it affect the way someone wanted their game to work? It's an interesting idea about third parties maybe not being able to take full advantage of the SSD in a way that first party Sony can, like Insomniac at this point, with being able to jump between those worlds in Ratchet and Clank. Because Ratchet and Clank, from the at least the gameplay that we saw, seems like that game, you could not have a last-gen version of that be playable. I mean, is it a requirement? Is that how they phrase it? Like, I, I, is it a requirement for third parties to have it be compatible with Xbox One and Series X? Oh, that's an interesting question. Because I don't, I didn't think it was. But I think I, they'd I, want I think it going to be forward. That's kind of the assumption. I don't know if it's like a mandate, but I think it's. I think any game that doesn't do it is going to face a lot of scrutiny from people. Yes, like I think it's a choice that you can decide to make as a developer, and I think it's a smart choice to say, yeah, you can play this on One or Series X, but like if you want to make a truly next-gen game, I don't, I'm sure that's fine. I think they've said that there aren't going to be any uh, Series X exclusives for the first year. Is that how they phrased it? Okay. Yeah. Mm. Then, yeah, I mean, then yeah, it could create some limitations, I think, for sure. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Clint Farley... He says, a lot of the conversation around the PlayStation 5 is how their custom SSD will remove load times or get rid of the obvious level transitions for asset loading. But do you think this could have adverse effects for game designers? Let's take a game like Tomb Raider or Uncharted where you're traversing an underground cave system and those games typically have narrow spaces you have to shimmy through. These can obviously have benefits to loading the new area assets. But are we supposed to believe that now all future games with caves are just wide open spaces? Yes, Clint. There's never going to be a hallway again or rubble. Every cave I mean, is going to be first, gargantuan. The technically the first PlayStation Five gameplay we ever saw had someone shimmying through through that with the Unreal <laughs> thing, but they said yeah, that was just for you know that wasn't for loading reasons. Um, but yeah. I would not jump to that conclusion, Clint. Uh, I, I mean, even if you're not doing that exact little shimmy which we all know and love at this point i mean they can still do narrow areas where you're kind of working through so i had to have someone explain the shimmy to me when i was playing the final fantasy 7 remake yeah so i was like why are there so many tight passages isn't there something else we could do and i had because i like mostly play pc so my stream chat had to be like it's just loading and i'm like loading what? <laughs> What's loading? <laughs> yeah, why do I keep having to slide down these areas just so they can offload was, all the stuff behind it? It's just, yeah, that's the way it we're... It was getting a little too obvious. I'm like, why are there so many tight spaces? Right. Yeah. Uh, without... I think uh, Respawn calls those squeeze-throughs. They have a name Ooh. for it. That was when I went to the Star Wars cover trip, I, yeah. they, they said that just casually, and I like immediately wrote <laughs> that down. I was like, oh, I, I've been looking for a term for that forever. Mm-hmm. It's better than shimmy. Yeah, that totally works. Yeah, A uh, nuzzle. Sarah, without <laughs> spoiling anything, uh, how's Seven going? <laughs> what were your conclusions about that game? About Final Fantasy Seven Remake? Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, the the ending's amazing. It's a total, total different from the first fan. But I didn't play the, the original Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, pack it up. I'll be back in four years to play the next one, I guess. So it didn't have a huge <laughs> impact on you. It's like, yeah, this seems about right for an RPG. I feel like, I feel like that's... 
but don't you see they've introduced this character and this character wasn't here last time and i was like who what (laughs) (laughs) did you enjoy the game i did i did enjoy it um it it definitely treated me i played like bloodborne right right after that and i was like oh wow now final fantasy 7 seems so easy (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was good okay all right high-pitched voice but i'll take it yeah uh Alex Brinegar says, hey there, Ben, two wins, and the Hansons, also two wins. Thank you, Alex. He says, while trying to contribute to the top 10 3D platformers list in the community Discord, I had a bit of a trip down memory lane listing some of the games from my childhood. Well, I'm not sure. Well, I'm sure a lot of us played the same games. There were a few on my personal list that I'm sure were either on the obscure side or less than stellar. I was raised by a single mom, and while I loved video games, brand new titles coming to our house were few and far between. As an adult, I now completely understand why I got some of the games I did. A $60 Mario game or a 15 copy of the Grinch platformer? I was grateful for every game I got, and to be honest, I enjoyed those games regardless. However, I realize our shoestring budget had a large impact on the games I enjoy now and the ones I look back on fondly. My question is, do you think a family's financial financial constraints has a legitimate effect on someone's taste in video games or media in general and what they end up enjoying? So... The way I sort of like in, was intro to this was through like GDC, not GDC, SGDQ. Yeah. Because um, they were talking about how um, the reason some of the games are so weird is because when you can only maybe afford one game, you're going to play that game a lot. And that's sort of where speedrunning came from, is you can only have one game. So you're, you're going to become really, really good at that game. And eventually you have to find new creative ways to sort of challenge yourself interesting yeah. and then thus speed running and that's why people are speed running crystal's ponytail for the second genesis and convincing (laughs) themselves that there's a lot going on there yeah yeah i think that's true i mean i definitely had that situation like i grew up in a uh house that you know we're on like food stamps and i grew up in a trailer and stuff and so i didn't have a console until the playstation and so that has influenced a lot just not being a nintendo kid growing up and like my gaming was at hand-me-down Apple II, even though it was the 90s, I was still like, yeah, this is great. This is peak of gaming, right? Is playing the racing game Autobahn on an Apple II. So I think it definitely has a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everyone has kind of have that story about, what, well, at some point I had to choose whether, which system, uh, like, you, you end up getting. Like, I wasn't really, yeah, like, I, I didn't have a PS1 growing up. I basically got a PS1, like, the year before, I think, the PS2 came out. So I just like there's like a lot of uh, like even something like Spiral or Crash I didn't even get into until like way later uh, in life. And I didn't really have an Xbox until the 360 came out just because I had to choose one or two. And I got a PS2 and a GameCube. I just didn't like I there like I'm not the biggest Halo fan partially because I just didn't grow up with it when it happened. So I think it definitely does control like how what kinds of games you have access to. So if your parents had more money, you would be loving those brutes at this point. That's right. Just craving their voice I'm coming. Crazy over the about the banished. <laughs> <laughs> My banished I mean, boys Mag- are back in town. Bring back I mean, the Mega banished. Man X. Uh, Mega Man X is one that I love so dearly, and it's because it was the rare game that was like twenty dollars on the Toys R Us wall, where everything else was like forty bucks. Interesting. Just, me and my brother just really got into it and played it over and over. And now, like, I look at that and I'm like, that's game design that I like, you know, because I have that game memorized. Yeah, for sure. Uh, ben Shively says what games that have come out in recent years that do you believe will end up being cult classics down the road for me i believe that horror fans will appreciate the evil within two more as time goes on since it didn't get the recognition or sales that it deserved when it came out 
And then he just lambasts your review for Evil Within 2 for a long time serial number. Oh, yeah, that, that review where I gave it a 7.75. I remember it being like score? a... No, I remember it being <laughs> a, like a 2 out of 10. Uh, oh, that, it, well, that's the taste I have in my mouth. But yes, uh, thoughts on recent games that'll be cult classics down the road? You know, I don't know if this counts. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's like successful enough to not be cult, but I feel like maybe Death Stranding. Like I feel oh, like it was divisive yeah. enough where like I think and there's enough there's a small group of people who are like not only was it my favorite game of the year it's my favorite game of all time and then there's also a lot of other people who are like eh, not for me so I want but but it was really successful so like I don't know right if it counts but that's that would be my vote is I think that'll be a cult classic yeah you're right because there's a weird line between cult classic versus a version of a cult classic, which is there's going to be some hot think pieces five years from now about, you know, what game was more brilliant than people realized at the time. I could see yeah. Death Stranding being up there for that. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. Uh, Brian Keese Jr. says, tagging on to last week's talk of dumb things you believed as a kid, did any of you ever do anything super dumb when it came to your games or consoles? When I was a kid, my local video store rented consoles and we spent the money one week- weekend to rent the PlayStation 1 and play Virtua Fighter. I wanted to play while my dad was at work, but didn't realize the case was one where you had to push the center to release the disc, snapping it as I forced it out. The idiocy did not stop there. I tried to fix the broken disc with scotch tape and see if it would work. Spoiler, it did not. My dad wasn't (laughs) thrilled, but thankfully didn't get too mad. We bought a replacement copy out of my allowance and made me explain what had happened to the video store clerk, which is probably uh, a top five embarrassing moment of my childhood. Yeah, that took me back to trying to getting my first uh, PSP game. You know how they come in those little like plastic things? Yeah. I tried to open that. Oh. I was like, what the hell is this? And I was 15. I was, <laughs> and I'm like, the hell is this? You're like biting I mean, on it. it Eventually help I that got that, it, but. It doesn't help that those things fall apart like the second <laughs> you take them out of the box. Like, it is not a great design. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Yaro says, hey friends, is there any idea for a video game that you would want to see that hasn't happened to the best of your knowledge yet? Mine would be a large open world sci-fi RPG, which it seems like Starfield would be in that vein. Games like Mass Effect have been great, but the worlds don't have the scale of something like a Bethesda game. I'd really enjoy seeing more in this style. I mean, there's... Andromeda seems to be trying to do it. Or, I mean, Outer Worlds, if you want to count that. Like, Monarch was open-ish there's some bigger areas but it is weird that there hasn't been a defining open world sci-fi rpg am i nuts i mean yeah not re- i mean you could say horizon maybe but even that oh really interesting feel, it feels more tribal than sci-fi yeah i, I feel i feel like spacefaring is kind of the keyword here even beyond sci-fi where it feels like mm. you want to have like ships and space stations things like that well it's interesting because it seems like the problem is if you have a spacefaring setting then you want to go to different planets and if you can go to different planets then they don't have the resources to build out that planet in full so it makes sense to do non-spacefaring civilizations as open worlds like medieval worlds and stuff like that right but yeah is, is outer worlds an open world sci-fi rpg did i just talk about that yeah yeah. Okay. You said I thought you said Mass Effect for some reason. Oh, Did I also said Outer Mass Worlds? Effect. I ran through it all. Okay. I probably said Outer Wilds as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but all I, I want, uh, and like this is IP based, but all I want is the Chow Garden in the mobile app. That's all I want. Mm. And I've been. This is my white whale. I've been like, look. I, every year I'm like, okay, but what if you guys? <laughs> 
Uh, so this is up Suriel's alley, but what is the Chow Garden? So the Chow Garden is from Sonic Adventure. Well, I played Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. But mm-hmm. basically, as you're going through all the levels, you can find like lost Chows, which are really cute, little little tiny fairy babies. And then you can... I think you can get like an egg and you have to take care of it as like Sonic. And this is a completely, this is like a mini game, right? Completely separate from the main game. Yeah. But you care for this tiny egg. You can level your egg up. If you are kind to it with the good characters, so like Sonic, um, Tails, Knuckles, it grows into a good chow. But if you're like mean to it with the good characters and kind to it with the bad characters, it turns into like a demon chow. And you can open up chow heaven and hell. (laughs) <laughs> so I would like I would pick like tails and then I would like launch the eggs across the stage to sort of like you have to basically abuse yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you throw them at the wall, the, the egg breaks and they fall and they and they start crying because you just chuck them at the wall and they fell. Uh, yeah, that game was that the mm-hmm. cow stuff is fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah, absurd. It's fun. So okay, so some some sort of raising your chow fully. I think, yeah, that I think simulator. it would do well on mobile because you can. Mm change your chow stats. You can make them compete in like little races. You can turn them into little animals. I mean, like why hasn't this already happened? Yeah, it is confusing. It's like Take my money, Sega. Did they ever release like a Tamagotchi game on iOS? I feel oh. like a couple years ago they did yeah. something with the IP, but that's another one of that wheelhouse. It's like how has there not just been a Tamagotchi app on iOS? It's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. I remember checking on it maybe like 4 years ago and it wasn't mm-hmm. out there. Um Pokémon MOBA Pokemon Mobile yeah, is Pokemon. definitely up there. No doubt about it. Uh, Thomas Derenick says, Hey, Max Crew. Uh, the announcement of Crash 4 got me thinking. Crash Bandicoot is a franchise started by Naughty Dog years ago that they moved on from, and its legacy has since been carried on by other developers. My question is, what do you think is the likelihood that Naughty Dog's current IP, Uncharted, The Last of Us, will receive a similar treatment 5, 10, 15 years from now? Will a franchise be handed off to a Toys for Bob-like studio? <laughs> well, Crash is confusing because that was the you know, confusing universal Vivendi Activision rights miasma. Um, so this would have to be from Sony itself, but I could totally see once Sony Ben wrapped up days gone that they would have a conversation about like, Hey, do you want to make another uncharted? Cause they did golden abyss. And I imagine mm-hmm. at this point, naughty dog is not hankering to go back to the, the world of uncharted. Hopefully they create new IP and, and try something completely different. So I could see at least Sony pitching Sony yeah. Bend on whether or not they'd want to make a, another Uncharted. Last of Us is tied so closely to Neil Druckmann at this point. It would it would be weird, but I mean, you know, who knows? I, I mean, know. you could also say they it made was, a Metal Gear without Kojima, so. And you could also say it was closely tied to Bruce Straley, you know, the, the director yeah. of the first game. Like, that was Neil and Bruce's game, and Bruce left for The Last of Us Part Two and uh, it seems like people love the sequel. Well, some people love the sequel. Uh, no, the, the people who are right love the sequel. Okay, uh, we'll see. The game club's going on. A vertical will be right. uh, weeks from now. But uh, it is weird. I, maybe I'm too into this type of thing, but I'm fascinated with reading into Twitter silence. Like the fact that like when Mass Effect Andromeda came out, Casey Hudson did not tweet anything about it. Uh, and I noticed uh-huh. that Bruce Straley, like he's not the most active on Twitter, but he has not mentioned Last of Us Part Two. You think there would be a little bit of like a, hey, good job, team. Not to imply there's a ton of ill will, but it's one of those like, okay, I, I see this. I see your silence. Um, yeah. You're just going to tweet out that game. Just like no no reference or anything. <laughs> It'd be like nice. No would it hurt, Serial? Would it hurt? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, 
in in the in the in the credits, there's a nice Bruce Tr- Straley thanks. Oh really? Yeah. Oh good. Okay. I was, I was debating. It's like, is that a spoiler? But it's 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 not. There's just a very nice like singled out and thank you to Bruce Straley for that's really sweet. That's really yeah. sweet. I'm glad that event. Um, I I do wonder if even though Naughty Dog might not want to develop an Uncharted game, I wonder if they're a little bit protective about the brand still, and they wouldn't want to hand that off because going back to the Crash Four thing, I know they were quite pissy about uh traveler's tales developing the original crash 4 like uh wrath of cortex i'm sorry hanson do you not know that trailer implied that those games don't exist (laughs) hang on yeah they're gone it never happened i do want to stream wrath of cortex though because i remember playing that uh a couple years ago and thinking like this game is not as bad as i thought it would be because GameSpot gave it like a bad review so my mind it was trash then i went back to it and was Mm -hmm. like this is like a pretty solid crash game on ps2 yeah um so yes i think naughty dog is kind of the crown jewel for sony and so anything that would upset naughty dog uh emotionally they probably wouldn't want to do and maybe having another studio take a crack at one of their franchises would be a little bit too much what is what's the jack and baxter situation right does it still belong to naughty dog i mean sony yeah sony okay because i mean because they did do that one jack and baxter game for psp yeah that was not naughty dog but well, like a, yeah, and they were kind of playing with maybe doing a Jack Four at one time, which they've publicized a fair bit. I don't, I don't think they're going to make a new Jack and Daxter game, but like maybe if in this era of platformers, apparently maybe someone might be interested in doing it. I don't. What know. if Naughty Dog just made Jack X Two? That was like their their next big passion project. <laughs> That's Druckmann. He's like, you know what? Yeah. This is where I started. This is where I kicked things off. He made the I UI just want, that game. I just want these badass vehicles back, man. I, I'm yeah. done with these human stories. I don't Enough care. of the boohoo. A little more to do another song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Victor Fam says, "Do you try to recreate yourself in games, or do you like to stick with the default character appearance?" I usually go random. Oh. I, I try to get through those as fast as possible whenever I can. I just have no... Because usually it's not going to matter. Like in Dark Souls, you're going to be in armor 90% of the time anyway. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I try and make somebody different from me. I've had enough of my own face. Sarah, where are you at with this one? Um, Depends on you know how good the character creator is. Usually I'll make something close. Um but then when it comes to like Dark Souls, like you can't do anything to make it look. Every time you try to make it look good, it just looks worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. And I, I tend to gravitate towards characters that look like me more. Um, and I blame that on the fact that I grew up with games and I could only play boys. So whenever I do get a girl, I like cling to it with like I'm just like, oh yes, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> uh, oh, here's a related question. Chris Logan asks, "Hey crew, let's talk about hair." Specifically, what is your relationship with your hair, and has it changed since high school? Do you consider your hair to be a big part of your identity? Do you style it every morning, or is it a thing that grows on you? I'm looking at one of you specifically here. Oh, who could it be? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I... Yeah, well, look, I like to style it for about four hours. <laughs> I gotta say, maybe your hair is a pain in the ass, Kyle. It is so satisfying to go from slightly longer hair, and then every time I buzz it, just to get out of the shower and just dry it immediately and just never have to worry about it. I don't want to yeah. think about it. I don't want anything to do with my hair. And every everybody, every person I've dated is like, oh, you got to keep the curls. You got to keep the curls. I have long hair. And I just hate it. And I don't know if I'm wrong or they're wrong. I'm going to assume everybody's wrong but me. <laughs> uh, man, I, I'm like super picky about my hair, but I don't, I actually don't like do anything to it, really. Like when I get out of the shower, I just dry it and it, 
that's how it looks. Now, Sarah, know? is that a mistake on his part? Yeah. Did you just try it? I mean, I guess it depends on, you know, if you're going to bed with wet hair, it's probably going to look crazy. But if you're just doing it in the morning, then it's just going to dry however it's going to dry. Yeah. I, you got to roll like, the dice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, had a very cool ponytail, like in middle school and oh, high school. Oh, yeah. Yep. Very no, cool. It's, it's very cool. And then I went to like a faux hawk for a while, uh-huh. you know? Uh, in like late high school, which was a big change. That was holy crap. Kyle got rid of the ponytail. How insane is that? And then now I'm kind of in this weird world where like I let it get really long and then I cut it off and my wife gets annoyed with me because she likes it long. So I let it grow all out again. And then she's like, I really like it like this. And then I cut it off. and She's like, I don't like it anymore. Mm, that's a tortured like existence. Us. And you'll photo to send to Ben for each of those previous examples, right? We'll have the, the viewers will know what all those look like. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not hard to find. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you want to track them down, and I do. Yeah, oh, yeah one, I'm one very thing, picky about haircuts and stuff. Yeah, one thing I will say that I think most people don't know is long hair is heavy. It's heavy. This, Interesting. This hangs on my head, and I only wash it like twice a week. Um, and when I do, it like like my head's being like pulled back in the shower. I'm like, this is it's heavy, and it's hard to manage. So, do you think your neck is stronger than ours, Sarah? I don't think my neck is stronger per se, but I know for a fact that like, because, you know, growing up and living in the Midwest and stuff, I grow my hair out in the winter because it keeps my neck warmer Mm. and it keeps my ears warm too. It's like a blanket on your head. I know. I'm always jealous (laughs) of women that can walk around in the winter without a hat on. It's like, you must be freezing, but it's like, you know, when you're in that like 30 to 40 degree temperature and it's like ah, i should put a hat on i'm gonna be more comfortable i'm always jealous that women aren't as compelled to do that it's a good life i have a hat yeah it's my hair and look i don't i don't want to get too um political on this podcast or nothing i was listening to this podcast of the day and they just brought up i think it was just like a joke i forget what it was even was but they made some reference to like yeah back when our president's hair changed over time is it right there? Like, oh yeah, you normally can see like when a president gets a haircut or like changes or like Trump is just or just locked. watch it go gray at a rate right. that yeah. no human's hair should be going it's just gray amazing. because it's just the identical. most job in the world. You can do a time lapse of his hair. It has not changed. It's stunning. Uh, Anyways, um, Mark. I don't know how he keeps it that way. (laughs) He's a talented man. Uh, Mark Ramirez says, hey, Ben and CLCs, last week you guys talked about Babe 2, and I was cracking up the whole time. Babe was a beloved classic in our family, so when we sat down to watch Babe 2, Pig in the City, we were just staring at the TV in disbelief. (laughs) After it was done, my mother declared the movie was such an abomination, it didn't even deserve to be donated to the library where it would scar other families, so she took the DVD out and snapped it in half. She did what she had to. Yeah. Uh, Hey, good job, Mark Ramirez's mother. You know exactly what's going on here. That's incredible. Wow. You honestly saved a lot of heartache for children out there. Uh, hey, Serial, I've been meaning to talk to you about your movie taste for a while. You uh-huh. tweeted a while ago that you watched one of my favorite movies of all time that is criminally underrated, Broadcast News. Yeah. Uh, what compelled you to watch Broadcast News? Uh, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been listening to uh, a Blank Check podcast, Friends of the yeah. Show. Uh, and so I've been, I've been working through a lot of it. Uh, mostly it's like if I see the title of the movie and I've heard of it before or I've seen like, hey, I should see that movie. People have said you should see that movie. Those are the ones that I watch. 
or if they're free, if they're like on Tubi or whatever, because yeah. there are a bunch of those, uh, I'll sit down and watch those. Um, and there's usually about three or f- maybe three, yeah, about, about around three per director that I end up watching. So that's how I know it, because I think they did James Brooks, or they, they did do James Brooks at some point. So yeah. Broadcast News is in that pile. Uh, what did you think of Broadcast News? It's great. Fantastic. It, it's It's up there for just the worst names for something that's really great. You know, it's from 1987. People have seen it. It's an older movie with a terrible, boring, flat name. Why would I ever watch this? But if you like comedies and work-life balance comedies, <laughs> Broadcast News is the best. And everybody loves Holly Hunter, of course, from Incredibles or even like Raising Arizona. Broadcast News is Holly Hunter the same year that Raising Arizona came out. Uh, and it is probably my favorite performance in any movie ever it is just yeah unbelievable every scene uh, is oh it's also weird how well that movie manages to be like uh, like it's not necessarily like a laugh a minute comedy either but it's not like a serious drama so it, it like finds this really interesting tone between like it's lighthearted because like a lot of it comes from like oh yeah it's really like the the pressure of being a news person is like super stressful but they deal and here's how these people deal with it and then it very quickly pivots into being a more serious drama about like accountability and th- and like what constitutes like, you know, correct journalism in, in like a pretty good way. But like throughout it's like Holly Hunter is like the the thing that holds that movie together in a lot of ways. She's amazing in it. Yeah. And now where Brooks is in it and he's hilarious, of course, and a lot of the jokes hold up. Really yeah, well, like, so. That's like the scene where he's sweaty constantly as he's, he's, he's finally taking over the news broadcast. The funniest like, thing. That is the most comedic out, outright comedic moments in it. And it, I think if you watch that scene, you think it was like, you, you think the movie was full of scenes like that, but that's that that is like the exception and not the rule. It's as wacky as it gets. Yeah. So please, please watch broadcast news out there. Kyle, have you seen broadcast news? Uh, no. He gets. Go watch it, man. You'd love I'm it. Sorry. Yeah, Where do you watch it, Serial? Where should I watch it? I think I, I ended up just watching it on Amazon. I mean, Amazon's usually the one that I end up using because they have like they have the most movies and they're usually cheaper. Because okay. I think I know it's it's like in that queue of movies that I need to see. It's actually pretty high in the classics oh good because i think a lot of people are like oh i've seen network i get it like old movies about uh tv i get the idea and it's like eh, network overrated Tenfold i have seen overrated. network exactly i have too and i watched <laughs> it before broadcasting news and that was a problem anyways uh sutton says uh sutton says the new segment he says hey with sony introducing the digital edition of the playstation 5 and microsoft already having the xbox one s all digital edition do you think at some point in the future we'll ever be able to lend our digital licenses for games to friends for a limited amount of time? Uh, I think they're going to keep what they do now, which is a weird convoluted thing of like the primary console stuff where you can set your console to be your primary console. And so anything you download there is accessible by other accounts. Uh, and then if anything on your account, you can access on your system, on any system, if you're online. So I think that's like, that's maybe the only way you can share digital licenses. And mm. I think they've kind of arrived at that system. Uh, I don't know that it's like the best system, but I doubt, like they, they don't really have a good incentive. Like the incentive to buy a digital is to, is that you're going to get a lot of good deals. And there have been like a ton of like really cheap sales going on constantly throughout the summer. Um, but I, I think they're doing that to kind of save people's um, kind of like hesitance to buy digital and not be able to share that stuff. They say, well, I can just buy it for 750 and it's just on my console and I have it and I can maybe share it with like one other person. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea behind 
cryptocurrency to a certain degree was like so that you could have like your copy of the game with an individual tag on it that you could share with somebody else, right? Like that was one of the sort of offshoot capabilities of cryptocurrency, but like I feel like that is just, I mean, Bitcoin is still going strong, but I feel like it's not getting integrated into games in any way. Mm-hmm. So as much as I would like, I like that idea of being able to like loan a digital copy of a game that like, I don't, I, I like Serial saying like, there's not really any financial incentive for the publishers to let you do that. I mean, what are they, I guess maybe you might buy a copy of a game if you borrowed it from a friend and liked it, but maybe probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Just set it at some sort of limited time or something. Yeah. Um, I like the idea, but we all like it. Know. Uh, Kyle Heyman writes in, he says, Hey everybody, I have a Mortal Kombat 11 lore question that's been bothering me. Serial, this is for you. I'll try to answer it. I haven't played the campaigns in Mortal Kombat 9 or 10, so maybe the answer is out there, but I even asked uh, Ed Boon in NetherRealm Studios on Twitter for help and got no response, so I'm hoping you all can help me with my Mortal Kombat 11 lore question. There's spoilers for Mortal Kombat 11's plot, by the way. There's a point in the game where... Raiden throws Garrus into the Sea of Blood by wrapping him up in the chain of an anchor and then dropping the anchor. Garrus mentions that drowning cannot kill me, to which Raiden replies something along the lines of, That is unfortunate for you. The Sea of Blood is bottomless, so you will fall forever. And then Garrus so he's is... the narrator of um, Gordon Freeman's brother uh, and a short film online, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Someone will get what I'm talking about. But you yes. sounded a lot like this uh, popular YouTube video. Anyway. No, that was Raiden, Kyle. That was a perfect oh, Raiden, Raiden impersonation. So anyways, he says that uh, the sea is bottomless and you'll fall forever, Garrus. So that's that's your fate. Uh, with this background, my question is, if the sea of blood is bottomless, why do the boats have anchors? Suriel is a Mortal Kombat fan. Yeah, they go really hard in Mortal Kombat X about the, the anchor question. It's right. like a whole five chapters of that game. I don't know. I don't think they didn't think they didn't think that part through. <laughs> I, did they make the boats in Nether Realm for some place other than the Sea of Blood? That's and then what I was gonna say maybe they only could buy ocean boats, and then they had to repurpose it to be a blood boat, so it just comes with an yeah. anchor. Right, you just rubberize the bottom a little bit more for the blood part. Plus, I mean, at some <laughs> point there has to be, maybe it's just the middle of the Sea of Blood doesn't have a bottom. But if you yeah, go they, like, you know, at some point I shore, actually imagine they come up against a coast or something where the water is more shallow. Well, they do because then they anchor. charge and they have the big Lord of the Rings battle and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that's that's what it is. So also, yeah, the, the, the anchors could be magically bottomless too. So they just arrive, like they just are able to magically anchor themselves and they don't have to reach the bottom. Oh, like you, you push know, like, a button and then it just hovers. Yeah, just like yeah, and that's I mean, like just in case you want to just sail out to the middle of the Sea of Blood and then just put an anchor down. And then just go lay in a tube out there for a while, you know? Yeah. Just I think we drink some it. cores. Uh, ben Van Houten says, Hey, everybody, uh, not to be a Debbie Downer hipster guy, but have you ever been pushed away from a game by effusive hyperbole? Uh, he mentions The Last of Us Part 1 uh, was a thing for him. But has a game ever been too well-reviewed that you didn't like it? Um, I, 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 that's almost kind of like a hipster reaction, sort of, right? Like, it is. It's so cool. Like, I, I kind of got that way about Overwatch, in spite of myself. Like, I was like, ugh, everyone's talking about Overwatch. Just this, you just play the same match over and over. I want to play something different. <laughs> Only one so that, map in Dota. Really, How good can it Overwatch be? Guy, yeah. I wouldn't say it necessarily got me to hate. Like, that's always been the problem with me in, like, Naughty Dog games, is that I don't hate 
like dislike them. I just <gasps> like them. Oh my god! Oh, the heaven. naughty dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my dog Poggers. He does How not like it when it? people talk uh, negative huh? about naughty dog. Don't talk negative about naughty dog. <laughs> I'm envisioning a dog the size of Clifford. Uh, to make here, let me sense. here. Let me let me go get him. Oh my let me show god! You in heaven, that was scary. <laughs> I'm sorry to everybody listening for the dog attack. <laughs> oh, look at that feral beast for audio yep. listeners. He's got fangs down to his toes. I don't know. And he is as big as Clifford the Big Red Dog. It is basically Clifford, listener, but too. mean. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the trick about Clifford the Big Red Dog is that everyone says he's really big. The people are just really tiny. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like uh, Naughty Dog, like it always feels like okay, I have fun with them. I like. Don't them, say that word, Serial. Don't. But, but when people are like, "This is this is a like this is the epitome of gaming," that's sort of where I start to bristle at. Like, I don't know. I feel like I, I guess I just want different things from games than, than the people who hold these up as like in like greatest ever territory. So it it doesn't like ruin the game for me. It just kind of like hampers, kind of like my overall reaction to them in this weird way. Yeah. I guess I put off playing Bioshock for a long time too. And it's probably cause like, you know, I missed the boat and then just hearing everybody talk about the highlights from that game throughout the years. I was like, ah, I don't need to go back to it. But part of it too was just everybody claiming how brilliant it was. I was kind of being a little bit of a snob of being like, ah, I'll get to it when I get to it. And I'm happy. I finally played it for the game club back at game informer. Uh, Jackson Arnold says hello cheek inspectors there's a backstory sarah it's not important um i just started playing sticks shards of darkness and there was a wilhelm scream in the opening cinematic i immediately turned the game off and uninstalled it what's the pettiest reason you've ever stopped playing a game but real quick that wilhelm scream seriously getting way out of hand at this point like it's in every now is it like What's that? Now it's getting out of hand. I feel like it's getting out I mean, of hand. It's been like, getting out of hand for years, but I'm just saying, like it's it's still coming to a head. Like let's let's be done with that. Was it in Jedi Fallen Order? Probably. I don't know. I don't remember a specific occasion of it, but okay. I would I would be surprised if it wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, what's the pettiest reason you've stopped playing a game? I had this weird phase where I, and I still maybe sort of do, but like anytime there was a boss rush. In a non-Mega Man game, I would just immediately say, like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. Oh, yeah. I don't know why, but, like, I, I feel like that's, like, one of the laziest things you can do is to just get to the end of the game and then, like, oh, yeah, we need to, for whatever reason, extend the length of this game. You're going to have to fight every boss again. Even, like, Beautiful Joe, it's like, no dice. Well, that was, that was like, before that part of it. So I, I think I remember playing... Uh, there was like a Kirby game that I stopped playing because you did that and a couple of other games. But around that time, I was like, I don't I don't need to do this again. This sucks. Yeah. I never um, like didn't play it. I never stopped playing a game because I was petty. But I've never played Halo for the sole reason that somebody, a boy in middle school bullied me who really liked Halo. <laughs> so it's like I drew the line there. I was like... <laughs> the ultimate brute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Kyle, I googled list of video games with Wilhelm Scream. And you know how like Google has like the stand up, stand apart like list that's featured? It only lists three games, and that's Super Splatters, Highborn. A, a from- game that has a great soundtrack. You know Super Splatters? I reviewed Super Splatters. What is it? <laughs> what is Super Splatters? It's a puzzle game where you you splat little bits of goop around. Like I don't know why I have to explain it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Super Splatters, Highborn from 2010, and Orc Attack colon Flatulent Rebellion. 
I'm sorry. Those are the only three video games that have the Wilhelm scream in it, apparently. So thank you, Google. I guess we're fine then. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing all right. Keep throwing it in there. <laughs> Fred DeNovo says, you're all a podcast, right? Uh, yeah. Probably listen to a few as well, I'm guessing. What is something you've bought that was, a- that was advertised on a podcast? Not your own. Personally, I ended up subscribing to Blue Apron for a couple months and own a couple pairs of MeUndies. Enter code. Thanks for reading. <laughs> thanks, Fred. That's good. Uh, I was a Stamps.com subscriber for a while when uh, we were selling a lot of stuff online. I use Stamps.com. Oh, that's interesting. I I was trying to figure it out because I'm like, oh, I need to buy Stamps. And I really had a moment of, oh, I can go to Stamps.com. That's People have been screaming to me for years about that. I went to Stamps.com and I was confused and then just ended up just going to the post office and getting stamps and it was Where fine. do I enter the code? I, I didn't know what was going on. I was seeing like if I could get like custom envelopes and I, I got lost. I went down the stamps rabbit hole and I didn't like it. Given like the recent circumstances of quarantine, I did finally break and I bought one of those like Toshiba days that you hear about on podcasts. What is that? Have you heard? No. It's it's just like it's it's a bidet that you can attach to your toilet. I mean, I got used to a certain lifestyle living in Japan. Yeah. Um, and ever since then, it's just been downhill. <laughs> but this is the only one, and it was advertised on a podcast that actually works with like you don't need to have an electrical outlet right next to your toilet. Oh, so interesting. Definitely recommend it. Uh huh. All right. It, it feels like the genuine Japanese article. No. Okay. No, you're definitely, uh, you're a few steps below it. Like, the seat is not self-heating. Mm. It does not play music. Mm. It does not heat the water. But, you know, desperate times. What's the point, then? <laughs> I, I tried to use milk hemp. It turns out that's not a real business. Milk? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, this is a Lisa mattress. Really? Oh. Yeah. Is it comfortable? Yeah, I like it. It's, like, form-fitting. Could you prove so it? Like, could you go in the back and just lay on it while Kyle asks this question? Well, it's a, before you go, Lana. Who, got, which coupon code did you use? Who got credit for you buying that Lisa? I mattress? think I think it was Giant Bomb. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. way to go! Uh, Serial, now go lay on that mattress while I read the next question, please. Dejected. How I do that? Fine. We'll see. Uh, Seth Palmer says, hello, MinMaxers. This week, I have a game for you called Will It Reveal Itself? Inspired inspired by Michael Huber from Easy Allies. Basically, I'm going to list a bunch of games that could potentially show up at Microsoft's event next month, and it's up to the panel to say it will or will not reveal itself. Here are the games. Fable 4. Will it will reveal itself? Uh, I think it will. I missed part of it. Like, is it at the Microsoft thing or by the end of the year? At Microsoft's event next month, which they've said, okay. didn't they say it's only first party? I don't know if they said it's only, but they said first party. That's a good question. Well, I think the 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 implication was that last month or this month was all third party, and that this month, I think July's would be first 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 party. I kind of had that vibe too, but it was kind of yeah lower tier third party stuff then for for their last stream, but uh, weird. Yeah, I think it. I think it's leaning first party. Anyway, so yeah. Fable Four. I think. Uh, I think odds are high. Yes, we say it will. Certainly want it to be reveal there, yeah. itself. Elden Ring it will not reveal itself. <laughs> does that game exist? <laughs> I mean, I if it's it if it's not there, is it going to be anywhere this summer? I mean, that's probably a 2021 game, right? Yeah. That's so weird. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie. Will it reveal itself? No Ooh. way. 
think no, so. I think Rare's working on something new at this point. Well, they had their um that Deer Forest game. What was the name of that? Eden Prime. What was that game? Yeah. Called? I remember that one. Yeah. What was probably going to show more of that. And they might show that Banjo Kazooie amiibo. Hmm. I can see that. That'd be a fun thing for them to do. Yeah, that'd be yeah. fun. Uh, oh, uh, Everwild is the name of that rare game, by the way. Uh, will we see near replicant version 1.22474487139? Oh, man. You know, that's a weird one because that game is a remake of the PlayStation 3 exclusive. Right. So and like, they, and they pushed Automata, cool. I think. Didn't Microsoft? Yeah, I feel like it was on their stage. Yeah. No, it was on Square Enix's. It was, I think the trailer for the, like, uh, Game of the Yorha edition, I think, led one of their conferences. Okay. When they were doing Thank a you. recap of, like, here's a bunch of stuff coming to Xbox One. Right, I, right. I, that's, you know what, that's interesting. I, I'm, I would like to see that reveal itself. I oh, will consider it? that one. I, just because I want it to happen, I'm going to okay. put my weight behind it and say it it's will It's happening. Uh, Battlefield 6. They did have the Battlefield partnership, didn't they? I think I think it will reveal itself. No, I think they showed everything they were going to show at EA, which no. was just some behind the scenes tech. Really? That's what I mean, that's what I think. I, I think that was them priming the pumps for Microsoft to to flesh this thing out. Oh, uh, no. Final Fantasy 7 remake part 1 or 2. Oh, interesting, part 1 or 2. Um yeah, maybe part 1. Yeah, well, no. we, it's a year of exclusivity, but would they start teasing it this early? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I don't think they start. I think that that trailer comes out whenever they're a, ready to release it. Right. Uh, Call of Duty 2020. No, I would have thought that'd be at the PlayStation thing, uh, but maybe it's not just a PlayStation 5 game at this point. Actually, Does Activision I, plan to have an event? I don't Do know. They have an event? I'm I, not I mean, that I know of, but probably they're going to have some special event for it because it's not it's a PlayStation partnership still with Call of Duty. So you think it would be something with them. Hmm. Who knows? But thank also, you. I Seth mean, Carver. Call of Duty doesn't even get revealed in the summer. Yeah, it does. I bet it does. does it? OK, I, I, usually, I thought it was usually it's an E3 thing. Really. Like if they, they show like does the it? long trailer at like. Yeah. Okay. I just I miss remembering. In the interest that. of time. Yeah. In the interest of time. Kyle. Um, OK. What do you all like for question of the week? Uh, I kind of like the one about uh, where where what kind of gamer you'll be when you're old. Just, I, I think that's like yeah. an interesting one. You like that it's one? Weird. Uh, it's so simple. Like the most anticipated thing. I guess we haven't been asked about for a while. I like the financial constraints one. Um, ideas for games that haven't happened yet. You know, I, I like the financial, financial constraints. constraints. Is that we did we say the same thing? Financial constraints? We did. Uh, Sarah, as our guest Jeez. of honor, do you want to pick this week's question of the week winner? Oh, oh. Um, I'm also going to go with the financial one because I think we don't talk about it enough. Yeah, all right. The, the gatekeeping. Yeah, there we go. Financial gatekeeping. By our parents. <laughs> Evil, cheap parents. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at- my first gaming system was a PC. Yeah. Like, that's what I played on. Did you convince your parents to get a PC for no. gaming? No, I was like five. So this was a really, really old desktop. Right. But all the games that they had on it were like, here's here's your Barbie games. Here's your Girls Go Game Pack. My Little Pony Playmobil. And they're like, we heard this one will teach you math. And it didn't. <laughs> but I didn't want to learn that anyway. Uh, so what was your first, uh, I don't even mean to judge, but first like good console? PC game. No, PC game that you got into. Like what's the one that you bought and were really into? 
for when I was little. Yeah. Um, a lot of my my very very favorite game that I really liked to play was a My Little Pony game, and you would get a pony, and then you would have to raise it and train it to jump over hurdles, Ooh. and then once you raised it and you trained it and you put all this effort into it, it would sort of ascend into it would learn how to fly basically, and then it would fly away to the castle in the sky. And you would have to start over with the new pony. So essentially, I get older and I'm like, did it die? Because <laughs> you never see that pony again. And then you just start over. It's like pyre. Yeah, it's really yeah. beautiful overall. It was summoned uh, to a form of state. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations, Alex. You win this amazing uh, vinyl from I Am 8-Bit, which the art is just incredible, this thing. So thank you to I Am 8-Bit. And thank you for submitting great questions over at Patreon, everybody. Um, now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Serial. Uh, so get a load of this. Uh, you might have remembered that uh, Evo announced they're doing an online version of their event this year, and a lot of fighting games were excluded because they have bad netcode. Uh, so the Super Smash Brothers Melee community actually went ahead and started working on that. Oh, no. And earlier this week, uh, the site Slippy.gg released uh, a update to their uh, version of Dolphin, which is an emulator, uh, that has rollback netcode for Super Smash Bros. Melee, and that includes that netcode, integrated matchmaking, auto-updates, and replays. And you can uh, check it out right now. That's amazing. So is Evo going to let it in at that point? I, I think it's probably too late for it to be included in this Evo, but, I mean, I could totally, like, if... It's not, like, a official thing, right? Um, so they could totally include it in next year... I guess it depends on what the relationship with Nintendo is, but yeah, it's kind of really, it's really interesting to see like them like, yeah, we, since, uh, you know, COVID is basically keeping us from playing locally. We, we just figured out rollback netcode and, and implemented it into melee. They just get a little bit challenged and it's like, we'll show you, uh, yeah. Kyle. Uh, Hey, get a load of this. Uh, this was a very simple edit. Uh, and it's from someone named uh, Acoustic Harmonia on Twitter. But they took the gameplay footage earlier today of uh, Pokemon Unite of Ishihara playing the game, which yeah. is just like a little inset video. You don't, you know, I've never seen Ishihara play a game. So even that stood out to me at the time. I was like, oh, that's cool seeing him play a game. Uh, but all they did is they took that footage and they put it on top of like super high level breath of the wild gameplay of just someone like absolutely demolishing like a guardian and they're just like damn ishihara never knew you were such a gamer and it's such a simple edit but it just made me laugh so hard yeah i made a gif out of him playing because it's funny you know talking about yeah. the layers of complexity with that game and it's him just like banging on those buttons and he, ends I think up he was the only one on switch i could be wrong about yeah that, but it seemed like everyone was on phone he insisted uh, on it yeah do you think ishihara is like super toxic though I think so. <laughs> I think yeah. He's just yelling at all his teammates to get good. Get out of here, Squirtle Maid. <laughs> uh, Sarah. Okay. Um. Get a load of this. Uh, the Animal Crossing community has started fighting back against the villager black market. We have a few vigilantes modding their switches to give away free villagers that you don't have to pay for. So if you want Raymond, if you want any of those top tier villagers, you now don't have to spend money, physical money, actual money, or in-game currency. So what, they're, trying, they're trying to balance the black market of Animal Crossing by flooding it with uh, coveted villagers. 
Yeah, this is a really weird gray area dispute where it's like the the black market versus counterfeiters is basically mm-hmm. what's going on. <laughs> and Nintendo's like, uh, should we make Amiibo cards again? <laughs> Whatever, as long as they only get one island for console. That's all we care about. Please, please. Uh, hey, everybody, get a load of this. Uh, there's a fun Twitter exchange um, that is about Last of Us Part Two, but doesn't really contain a spoiler for everybody out there. But Josh Scherer who was an animator at Naughty Dog going back to Jack and Daxter, um, and he was one of the lead writers for Lost Legacy here, and also he's a writer in The Last of Us Part Two. He tweeted, I especially enjoyed writing uh, the cards that poked fun at my bosses in The Last of Us Part Two. There's collectible kind of superhero cards. He says, for evil Dr. Uckman, we were constantly teasing Neil about his workout regiment and intermittent fasting, and now it's immortalized in his card. And then Sean Vanneman from Campo Santo fame, uh, now at Valve, but worked on Firewatch and uh, Walking Dead Season 1. He said, we had a running goof about us messing up our launch date and shipping Firewatch on the same day as Uncharted 4. And in doing so, made Neil Druckmann a villain in Around the Office, out to sabotage our small indie game. And as that wore on, while cracking the story, we named the villain Druckmann. It took months, almost till ship, to not call him Druckmann in the finished version of Firewatch. Anyway, you folks... uh, (laughs) blanked us zero to nine at the dice awards that year so maybe we were right all along so fun little back and forth oh and then joshua replies and says the truth is the card is based on when you guys won best narrative at the gdca that year and neil dragged us all back to his laboratory afterwards shouting things like you fools they've ruined my plans and i shall have revenge and then it's all chips in our head to explode when we mentioned it so there we go fun developer exchange uh that i thoroughly enjoyed uh and for the community get a load of this uh which is in the discord channel uh rook submitted one that's a tweet from ryan brown about a new emulator did you guys see this that's called 3d sen it's an nes emulator yes it's an nes emulator that magically converts any game into 3d and you can see it in action uh there's a link in the description below but it takes things like super mario brothers and then just kind of extends the planes for all of these 3d games so it's like a pseudo clunky 3d remake of any nes game still the 2d plane but just kind of extends like for where you're actually moving and stuff it's not changing the controls to the core of the game just the perspective of it going off into the distance and stuff so it's a really cool look that's 3d sen is the name of that there's a link below so hey that's it thanks everybody i know it's a long haul um sarah any insight you want to share with us that we didn't get to yet um, I don't think so. I mean, uh, it's now the time for me to say that I've never played a Crash Bandicoot game. Yes. Because there's a lot of that in there. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of talk of that today, and I was just like, he looks like a Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes are like Dorito. It does um, look like a Dorito. There's a weird thing where I think some older folks in the game industry, not to point fingers at anybody older than us, but maybe some of your former employers over there at 8.4, I think they kind of look at Crash Bandicoot as like that piece of crap new platformer that the kids are into. And now I think you're at a generation where maybe you're like on the younger end of the spectrum looking up to Crash and seeing it as some piece of crap. Is that the correct perspective? me. Yeah, I mean, it just missed me. And it, they keep making more, and I'm like, but who's playing it? And then they're like, oh, other people. People that aren't you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, people who regret aging into their 30s. I think that's yeah. the audience for Crush Bandicoot. And we that's like it, thing. damn it. Who gaming's for? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, anything you want to plug? Oh, sure. Uh, I have my personal Twitter, at SarahPods, and then also my Twitch stream, also at SarahPods. Great. Uh, and you're streaming Dark Souls 3. Anything else? Yes. Uh, Animal Crossing, Dark Souls 3. 
I'm looking forward to the Mineral Town, Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town remake coming out. And then also looking forward to the Crystal Chronicles, also a remake. Because I'm now I'm that Crash Bandicoot person, but right. with Harvest Moon and Crystal Chronicles. But I'm so confused about that. So it's Story of Seasons, Friends of oh, Mineral don't, Town. Okay, we, we can have like a separate talk about what happened between Harvest Moon, Natsume, and Story of Seasons. Can you just give the brief summary? I think it's been described, but I'm always confused yep. about what the hell is going on. Especially when they're remaking a game and they change the name of the game. It seems like a fatal flaw in your remake. So basically, the short of it, what happened was, is um, Natsume was like the localizer and publisher for the Harvest Moon series. They're the ones that coined the Harvest Moon name. And then what happened is they split from the actual developers of Harvest Moon they kept the Harvest Moon name because they owned the English version and started to make like a really shitty spinoff of their own Harvest Moon names. So the Japanese developers had to flip the Story of Seasons, which is actually, a, I think, a direct translation of the Japanese name. Oh. So now Story of Seasons is now like the true Harvest Moon. And Harvest Moon is just like a, a copyrighted name that Natsume is still making games under. So bizarre. Uh, but yes, mm-hmm. the remake's coming out, I think, in July. Is that right? cool uh well hey thank you for being here sarah we appreciate it yeah. and um thanks for being on the deepest dive for animal crossing that's still up if people want to check that out um what's your hour count at this point for animal crossing i'm pretty sure we're approaching 400 hours maybe now oh, going up from 300 into 400 but it's easy when you like stream it so that's right you, you just have always, to stream you always put in hours, hours. Oh my God, that's absurd. Anyways, thank you for being here and thank you for everybody uh, for supporting us on Twitter, including our $50 supporters. I am 8-Bit, Beaten Down Brian, Krista, Nick DeFeo, Rebecca Lang, Zachary Pliggy, The Smack, Mark Seliga, Jawar Hello, Andrew Valla, Bob Buell, Jesse Vitelli, Mirko Rico Torino, Time Bomb Tom, Yarrow, Josh Elliott, Captain Subs One, Tyler Carver, Michael Jakes, Christian King, Adam Walker, JT Fells, Andy Clark, Ludwig Roque, Steve Babned, Andrew Sanford, Matthew Paxton, David Lacalucci, and Midnight Satire. Thank you, folks. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Thank you.